Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality Analysis podcast. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Ludo Bagman. Hi, everybody. Hey, Ludo. What was your impression <laughs> of these two chapters? It was me. It was all me. How do you uh, mean? This, you mean, uh, you mean the, the fact that you totally missed out? You I'm, fool. You total fool. novice. You utter rube. I can't believe you didn't see this reveal coming. You, well, man. I'm it, still it not was so obvious. It was in your face the whole time, and you were just like, I don't I think he's him. Yeah, it was, it was Ludo Bagman. The whole time. No, this is, uh, I didn't, I guess I, I, I kind of sort of heard you guys kind of leading up to it, but I didn't know these were going to be the chapters, but we totally did like break in the middle where it's like, okay, we get the big reveal, but yeah, at the, at the end of this, I'm like, but wait, then what, how about, get, get, uh, so, so yes, we did get enough where I can go, ha ha, yes, I was right. But like none of the details have been explained. So I, I, I have questions. These chapters, all the, questions. all the ones leading up through basically up until like the whatever ending, um, they, they do, most of them do a good job of like kind of leaving you on the edge of your seat, like the last few episodes of a TV series. Yeah. It's awesome. Now, I didn't go in and look so because like the, the notes at the end of, the, of 104 said like, okay, the 105 will be dropped at blah, blah, blah on such and such a time. Was that, how long of a, of a gap was that between 104 and 105? Uh, not long. This all these were coming out like he, by this point he had committed to like finishing the book on his schedule. Yeah, I, kind of, um, I sort of got the feeling like he's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna finish this out. Like he's like made commitments to the advancement of plot. Right. Yeah. One o four and one o five. One day apart, and then oh, okay. one day between that and the next one. The basically they all come out within a few days of each other from here to the end of the story. Uh, so I will have more time for unfounded conjecture than the fan base would have had. That's right. Back in the real, real deal. Because yeah, at the end of this, I'm like, but yeah, yeah, well, yes. It, so we'll get into it. But I have so many. Like I have, I think my biggest questions are, uh, what is? The, it sounds like there is a distinction between what a Voldemort is and what a Tom Riddle is, and I have no fucking idea what that is. Um. Yeah, and I feel like I was like, oh, you know, like the whole Tom Riddle thing hadn't dawned on me as being, yeah, I guess like that terminology and like just that concept of like, okay, there's a Voldemort versus a Tom Riddle versus whatever the fuck a Harry is. Like I hadn't, like we, I guess we'd split that concept of a person into so many pieces that I hadn't thought about, okay, like who, like is, are they kind of all interchangeable or are they, are there distinctions between like who is who and so that's what's high on mind now that we've like you know busted open the christmas present you know i guess it, one thing first is it is fun that yeah you will have more time between readings than we got when it was coming out mm-hmm. and two to kind of just generally answer the, all those questions at once you know you read enough meditation books and you realize that there is no real self so that's <laughs> that that's all that's going on under the hood there you go we, you there's know, no one home we're all voldemort <laughs> I am Voldemort. I am Voldemort. I am Je suis Voldemort. All right. Well, we? before we, we, we go actually full Voldemort in this chapter, but only from a small reference that I don't think you picked up on because I had to have it pointed out to me, too. Um, so we go back to one, what? To, say again? What did you just say? In one, I, I said in 103, we go full Voldemort. But only in a small reference that I think you didn't pick up on, uh, and I also missed. Clearly not. Um, I will point it out when we get there. It's, it's right. very fun. So, 
Moist. If we needed proof before 104 that Quirrell was Voldemort, this was it. <laughs> I mean, and we'll, yeah, we'll talk all about that reveal when we get there, because there's a lot to unpack there. Um, all right, so speaking of getting places, Daphne Greengrass gets to the Slytherin Common Room. Um, yes. Actually, she's already there, but how else do I transition? Um, and Dra- I love this so much. Draco comes in, <laughs> he's got his stack of books. And it's, I don't know, a dozen or something. And, like, mm-hmm. these are all the books that Miss Granger borrowed between April 1st and April 16th, probably, like, the day before she died. Right. And I thought, there you know, there might be clues there. Can you help me read these, Miss Greengrass? And I'm going to just read this whole line from Draco because it's perfect. This this has been his whole character, like, since uh, we met him at Gringotts. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, Daphne says, the, the general read all those in two weeks? It's like, well, I don't know if Miss Granger finished them all. He held up a cautioning finger. In fact, we don't know if she read any of them, and, or even really if she borrowed them. I mean, <laughs> all we've observed is that the library ledger says that she checked them out. I observed. <laughs> I know, I like, it's, it's kind of like almost this sort of reset. Yeah, I really like, it seems like we sort of like turned a corner on the character of Draco in the last few chapters where, like, it's sort of like this really admirable and kind of cool, like, character development of him be sort of taking on this, like, leadership role, like this sort of like sincere, authentic leadership role with the other quote, you know, important or, you know, the, the other students that have political power or are connected to political power, like this very like pragmatic, like correct, I think, like move towards, okay, this is what needs to be done. And we are the people that need to do it. So I really like seeing like Draco, like taking this on, but then this is also sort of like, and then we see like, he did totally very sincerely, like, you know, adopt this, like, pro-science, pro-rationality, like, mindset, but, like, how much of a dork he is with it. (laughs) It's like, you know, he's, like, just doing, like, you know, year one version of scienciness. I think Um, he's in this awesomely uh, dangerous and funny spot between, like, having just enough rationality and science to be dangerously, like, uh, um, competent, but also, like, having, like, maybe just read his first Sherlock books and gotten a total, like, you know... Uh, excitement for that kind he, of thinking. So he's just, he you know, he just to shove read it in. Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, he's trying to shove it into like just wherever <laughs> he can. So he's like, well, you know, all we've observed. And I think this is at least the second or third time we've seen him like raise a finger. With, I know. Like, I like that. I love that. It was such a like a good visual. I could totally see that. They like raised. Yes, exactly. That reminds me. I saw Enola Holmes. There's a. No, That's, I just, yeah, I've seen like the first three or four episodes. It's really good. It's I'm, a, it's a movie. It's a, well, no, it's like separated. Uh, it's a movie as because I thought I can't remember now. It's the one starring watch. Eleven from Yeah, yeah, Stranger Eleven Vegas. from Yeah. It's a movie, or maybe I've just like been backporting that in my head into being a series. Uh, I watched it as a movie. I'm not okay. sure what you saw. Maybe it is. You, you're probably right. In any, I, mean, I haven't seen does, the whole. It does break up I haven't nicely, seen the whole thing. In any so. case, what I liked was uh, I was talking with my brother. Like he called like when I was two minutes into it last night. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just starting this new Sherlock movie. And he's like, oh, who plays Sherlock? And I'm like, I'm so glad you asked. Superman. Because, because I just saw a picture that day on Reddit of, like, you either live long enough to see yourself become a, a hero or you, or wait, how does that quote go from Batman? Uh, uh, you, oh, you either die or, a hero. right? Or you live, so, live long enough to become the villain. Yeah. So this one was, you, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become, or to play Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> it has Iron Man, Sherlock. Uh, Doctor Strange, Sherlock, and the Superman, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am disappointed by the by the Mycroft depiction in this one because but like my first exposure to the Comset 
of a Mycroft Holmes was from uh, Robert Heinlein and The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, where the uh, the computer names itself Mycroft in a like homage to Mycroft Holmes. So my my whole concept of like the great idea of Mycroft Holmes is Sherlock Holmes' smarter brother. Like, oh, this whole story is about Sherlock Holmes, but by the way, there's a smarter dude off stage that we're just not bothering to look at. Yeah, the um, uh, the TV series Elementary does that. Oh, it's the same thing, yeah. It's, it's like a cool concept. Yeah, and then the, the Benedict Cumberbatch one does the same thing. I really like that idea that, like, okay, we're spending all of our time paying attention to this one, like, uber-smart character, but by the way, there's this guy over here that just doesn't want to be paid attention to who's smarter than that. And usually up to more, like, from Sherlock's point of view, like, less interesting things, but, you know, more yeah. uh, societally impactful things. Yeah. He's, he's like, too busy being It's like being you've got Dr. To, like, House here solving the it. mystery cases. Yeah, and then you've got House's older brother off, like, literally yeah. curing cancer, right? Yeah. I, I will... Yeah. My, like, my... So I'm, I'm, like, one of four kids, and I grew up in a thoroughly neurotic, like, we are all smarter than you, How like, a, a, a very unhealthy... Uh, competition between everybody, uh, God, not just the children, but the, the parents as well. Yes, yeah, like, oh, I'm smarter job, than right? you. No, I'm smarter than you. No, I'm smarter than you. And like showing up. No, it's not. It's not cool. Well, at least the way we did it, not cool. You're right. If, thoroughly, if I could make it in the there, exactly. But yeah, so, so having grown up in that, I always have regarded my my little sister as the Mycroft Holmes of the family. She's just very quietly being way smarter than the rest of us and not bothering, <laughs> not bothering to try to convince us of the fact. Love just it. busy doing it. Perfect. So. All right. Well, so Draco is a young Sherlock, and um, before they can start diving into <laughs> not, books, not Mycroft. Harry is the Mycroft right. in that in this metaphor. <laughs> Somebody's a Mycroft. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so who busts in? Oh, it's uh, Millicent because she's probably got the time traveled message from the future because we know her sister has the time turner. Oh, and yes. she says we're doomed. It's Professor Quirrell and. I like this, like somebody's running the betting pool of when he's going to go bad. Um, <laughs> and it's like, no, it's it's worse. Either we've got a surprise uh, uh, ministry-mandated defense final. And they're like, then it cuts to them all, like, you know, half the class is like crying at their desks because, you know, grades are scary and mm-hmm. they hadn't been taught any of the stuff that the ministry is supposed to teach them. And no. But Professor Quirrell doesn't give exams. Right. But no, no, the ministry curriculum... Does. Uh, and what was it? Yeah, Daphne sits down and she looks at the first question and it's like, uh, uh, what would you do? Oh, yeah. Why is it important for children to stay away from strange creatures? <laughs> and it's like, this is the battle-hardened badass. And so she looks at it. Some of the other students start laughing and she writes down, because my stunning hex, my most ancient blade, and my Patronus charm won't work against everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll I'll turn the... The wheel over to you when we cut to Harry here. Yeah, like he turned the wheel over to me for me to just talk shit about Harry again. There's something very I think I put on notes that like Harry acted very Karen about the the question. Like he like he writes instead of like answering the question. I I think it did say like so he gets some question about what was the question? And some like contrived. Uh, yeah, what would you do if you suspected there might be a bogey snake underneath your bed? Uh, the ministry approved answer Harry could in fact recall from his read through of the textbook at the start of the year was tell your parents. Um, and so Harry like just writes out, I, I guess, I guess it did imply that he wrote out that answer. He's like, okay, I've, I've given you the correct answer, but by the way, I need to lecture you. Um, 
So I think it's less, the, the difference between that and Karening is that this is a lecture worth having. No, this is a What are Mr. and Mrs. Granger going to do if, if Hermione says there's a magical creature under my bed? Allow me to retort. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, yes. This is, a, this is a, a rebuttal that Harry is uh, very self-importantly carrying out on the margin of the exam he is turning back in it's sort of this like it, it's totally like a self-involved like you know for my own benefit let me, let me write out why i do not approve of you having asked this question which will accomplish not a goddamn thing you know, it's not funny like his, though you know it's not like he sat down thing. to write a letter to the editor come on this is just this is it's a good t- comedy but it, but it kind of is like a letter that well yeah it is a good comedy beat to the extent that it's a letter to the editor well, but yeah. the difference is like the, the, some ministry, you know, Mook has to read this where he could just like whatever, uh, you know, keep sending owls to the minister of magic or some bullshit. Like that would be him flexing yes. his. I like, what, I like what, what he did say, which was totally cool. He said, dear ministry greater, I'm afraid the real answer to that is a secret. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I did. That was cool. But I was just running back to you, like, uh, like this is like at, at the end, Harry walks away from this knowing that, well, I'm right and you're wrong and therefore I'm better than you. And I like how half the answers to the test questions were just turn around and walk in the opposite direction. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is what they want 11-year-olds to know. They didn't know that we'd be doing Ender Wigan, you know, style exactly. battle magic the entire yes. year. Yes, because you've all placed the, the uh, welfare of humanity on the actions of an 11-year-old boy, just like in Ender's Game. It sure seems like it. But I think I've mentioned oh. this before on the... Uh, uh, probably earlier on, it was that, um, shoot, who's that really? Uh, Douglas Adams. He had that quote yeah. that was like, it's one thing to believe that you're the center of the universe. It's another thing entirely to have this confirmed by ancient prophecy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, that's so Harry walked into Diagon Alley on his first day thinking, I'm the center of the, you know coolness and awesomeness. And then he learned that there's a prophecy that says you're kind of super important. And he's like, yeah, I fucking knew it. <laughs> <laughs> fucking knew it. I know that is the weird thing about like all these kinds of stories. It's like when when people ask like some superstar about like, okay, you know, what's your advice to all the mere mortals? And they say like, oh, follow your dreams. I'm like, yeah, that worked out for you because you're the one in a million motherfucker. But yeah, so much. But yeah, I did think it was kind of funny. But yeah, so like we, it is kind of like like a cool sort of like I could totally relate to the, like the high cortisol (laughs) week (laughs) of you know stressing out about like oh must pass this exam and you know everybody were like working really hard for goals that they haven't fully thought out the value of. Um, But like yeah, like and then like students are crying and blah blah blah. Um, you know, Harry, Harry does say like, okay, you know what? I am going to like try to actually like work at this, but you know, parts of it he's seeing as, okay, this is complete bullshit. And then parts of this one, like, you know, at least I studied a thing. Um, and at the end of the day too, I think that he's like at the level where he doesn't really care about his grades. Mm-hmm. And so like for most of us, and I don't know, I, I can't remember when the, this hit this ship for me. I, I don't know if I like really needed to shift from believing, you know, my grades, my grades were super important to just caring less. I never did poorly in school, but like at some point I had the explicit realization that like the difference between a hundred percent and a 90% on like my GPA is nothing, mm-hmm. but it's, it, it's the difference between spending, you know, an hour doing a project and spending 12 hours doing a project. And I'm like, why would I spend yeah, the other 11 exactly. hours? 
there's too many video games to play if I'm going to get the exact same fucking grade at the end. So <laughs> Too many video games. Yeah, I did the totally, like, cliche neurotic thing of, like, oh, I'm just too smart to do the thing. Like, if I don't try, then I don't have to worry about the fact that I only got a B. Because if I had tried, I'd have gotten an A. Like, what a lot of crap that is, but... I did the opposite um, with, like, the actually hard stuff. I remember I took AP Chem, and I didn't take the AP test because on the practice one, I think I barely got a three, and a three was a passing grade. And I was like, a well, three I still get you credit, though. Well, it would have if I – I can't remember. Maybe I got a two on the practice one. Whatever it was, uh, okay. I, I wasn't confident I'd pass. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, you know what? Trying is the first step towards failure. I'm not going to bother <laughs> taking the real test. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's pretty much like the logic that goes back in my head. I was like, oh, you know, if I didn't do great, it's because I didn't really give a shit. And so this like thoroughly like chest puffy bullshit about like, oh, I don't really care. In my head, I knew exactly what I was doing. In my head, I knew exactly what I was doing, which was just dodging the hard work on the <laughs> on the very realistic chance that I might not get a good grade. So. Well, see, you and you did kind of fuck yourself because those those AP credits would have gotten you out of like three, you know, GE classes in college that you then had to pay for. I mean, I took I went to community college for all the cheap shit, mm. and I did a couple of other AP, AP at least one other AP class, um, and I did well on that one. But the AP Chem stuff, man, I don't know. It was uh, actually I think I I failed out of AP Chem specifically. Yeah. Oh, good. So it's not yeah. just me. We got two. So yeah, I got AP Bio. Which got me out of it because I went to the like the school that all the pre med students. Were. I was the English major at the pre med school. That's how lame I am. Um, but yeah, it did get me out of the like the pre med class. That you just I get to flex that you're doing something different than the rest of the pack. Yeah, yeah, let's say that's what I did. Yeah, and then you get to double flex that you're you're majoring in something completely unmarketable and useless, and they're all going to be doctors. That's exactly. <laughs> that was where I ran with. I'm like, oh, I'm getting a capital E education. And he don't says, get me wrong, I'm not shitting on your degree. I'm, I'm the one sitting on a psychology degree. So. If you're not shitting on my degree, you're just not trying hard enough. Well, I mean, let's I just be real. Degrees are pointless. Fucking liberal arts. Anyone with enough money and, and time can get a degree. So I have the degree that one gets by reading Shakespeare instead of actually doing real work. Or as John Mulaney put it, I walked up for and accepted a diploma sweating uh, vodka. For and books Molly. I never read. Yeah, for reading books I didn't read. <laughs> I heard you when you said that. I'm like, yes, you you are my people. It's perfect. That's how that works. That like the skill of getting a bachelor's in English is to figure out what you don't need to read. And he spent $120,000 to do it. All <laughs> right. Good times. All right. So they all turn in their, their tests and Coral has this nice little long speech about, uh, you know, hey, great, t- you know, usually given later. But I think in my case, they'll make an exception. And he just like. Uh, I think he just weighs his hand at the stack of parchments or something. He's like, I've now magically graded all of them. Exactly, yeah. A, a, an incredible spell, don't you think? When, uh, you know, it didn't take, I think it took me until my, until a reread before I realized, like, oh, he didn't do a spell. He just gave everyone the grade that he, he had, had already written their, their yeah. grades, yes. And so. Uh, Which conspicuously, he did not give Harry the A plus. He gave Harry a B plus. Right. Which, by the way, is the classic English major grade. Everybody oh, there you, to go. Be, you have to really fuck up to get a C, and it's almost impossible to get an A. Oh, so here's where we know that he went full Voldemort. Um, so Hermione doesn't get an A. She's the only one who doesn't pass. Yes. And she For gets, the crime of dying. Right. So she gets, uh, like, the grades, I think they go a o, disastrous e, or a... a, D, and then mm-hmm. T. And so, like... Uh, Outstanding, exceeds expectations, acceptable, dunce, and he didn't want to give her the lowest Disastrous, grade. I think, was 
Something like uh, that? Dreadful. Sorry, I dreadful, said dunce, sorry. yeah. But he didn't want to give her a lower grade because it would have been in poor taste. The lower grade than dreadful is troll. <laughs> troll. Nice. Yeah, so yeah, so he gave Hermione so the second to worst. Her. But he gave he only gave Harry the second to best and he gave Hermione the second to worst. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't I guess wanna, he didn't want to troll her by giving her the troll grade trolling her. after killing her with a troll, assuming that he's which really did apparently, the <laughs> which assuming, I mean, I mean, if he's Voldemort, oh wait, no, we can say <laughs> he's actually Voldemort. I think uh, somewhere in the book, someone says that there could be more than one plotter and more than one plot. Now you're just reaching. Now you're just trying to create something. I, I can I can still muddy the waters for as long as possible. For <laughs> exactly. Fun. I mean, you have a full chapter and a half to continue to do so. so. Well, he doesn't admit to killing Hermione. Wait, well, that's true. He just actually, tech, technically, which is apparently the best kind of correct to you fuckers, um, he doesn't admit to anything. He doesn't even admit to being Voldemort. He just he just accuses Harry of being Tom Riddle. He does incline his head when addressed as Lord Voldemort. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> then there's this there's this nice thing where I mean it it aside from the rest of like the kind of tone of him you know shitting on Hermione in front of the whole class <laughs> I know. at the end he says uh, you know I've put in letters of recommendations for the what those of you got good enough grades and uh, remember you cannot rely on future defense professors your first year of battle magic is over you are dismissed and it, especially because like at this point everybody thinks like oh they just got a letter of recommendation from. David Monroe. Yeah, the, the, well, I think only, like, only Harry in the class has any guess of that. But yeah. it's, they, they know he's this powerful secret badass. Yeah. And, like, just the whole, you know, battle magic is over, you're dismissed. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to leave, and you're probably going to die the second we leave the room. Um, <laughs> all that felt kind of powerful. And then Harry goes up to him and just silently holds up the EE+. And he says, it's the same grade I received on my own first year. Which... Um, you didn't pull out. Obviously, this was the other, you know, the first in, the, in con- the, the, incontroversial proof that we had that he's Voldemort. Because I was looking for that. I was still on the fence. He, I was wondering he if perhaps Dumbledore was Voldemort. He marked Harry as his equal. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, that didn't get a laugh I was going for. Moving on to chapter 104. <laughs> I guess what, what I liked about this then, it was like sort of like the last vestiges of Harry, uh, very like battered girlfriend kind of worship, like pining after the approval of Quirrell. Where he's like, oh, thank, thank you so much for this B plus. I think, um, I mean, because he's like, I, the, the yeah, it, it ends with it like th- th- really th- negative. Th- Quirrell hasn't been, you know an abuser to that kind of style at this point, he's been nothing but Harry's mentor. Right. And his mentor I, says, you know, he, I, I, okay. See, so you're outing your like weird, you know, subscription to the, to the gaslighting. The dude killed his best friend. Harry doesn't know that. B- yeah, but he should, which is the, and actually a little bit, kind of, not so much a beef, but like the part that I thought a little odd with, with the next chapter was instead of it being like Harry, like, like shedding the scales of delusion, it was more like, oh, I'm so smart. I figured this out rather than like, oh, you stopped being an idiot that didn't pick up on the hundred obvious clues that this dude is evil. Okay. You only read this once and didn't listen to the audiobook then, right? Apparently not. 
Okay. Uh, I well, you can chalk that off your bingo card where I said listen to the audio. <laughs> um, as soon as Sprout shows up, somebody wrote battle music for that scene, and it was awesome. Uh, and like the whole realization, like the whole long thing where Harry is thinking about like, okay, what's the, what was that note? What did it mean? Mm-hmm. All of that is done in this awesomely panicked tone. And you can even see it in the text. Like their paragraph endings don't have punctuation. There are a lot of run-on sentences. In fact, there's no punctuation running for like several paragraphs. Um, it's it's just this one long panicked breath. And it's it's less about like him uh, flexing his brain. It's more just like this, this you know, mind fuck of like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. It was awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. I mean, yeah, that's kind of sort of a... <clears throat> I guess if you can come across enough... Yeah, we'll get into it more. But I'm going to just say you read it wrong. Apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, because it sort of felt like, oh, let me realize this thing, realize that, that it was... I was wanting it... Like, after, it wasn't so much like in the moment, but like after the fact, I realized like it didn't feel enough like... Like Harry... Uh, like... What's the right word? <clears throat> Harry sort of like ridding himself of a delusion it wasn't like oh my god look at all of the shit i've completely been you know been forgiving of this psychotic asshole it was more like it it felt like oh i have now figured out all these you know suspicious behaviors rather than like oh i should have totally known this the whole time i mean we um, we only have uh i mean i think he like says something the dude is fucking except yeah and the, but, what's weird about that because because Harry has not been the only one. Like Dumbledore, all the other teachers also should have picked up on this dude is a psycho, cold reptile of a human who is way more powerful than any of us should be comfortable with. Like there's been this whole, which I have always thought this whole time has been super cool of this, like how, why is everybody looking the other way on how both powerful and completely lacking in human feeling this dude is like everybody's been like totally fine with that and that's not at all alarming like i was hoping more for it be like kind of like harry shedding this the delusion rather than him like having put together the the mystery i think it's it's a bit of both i think when you reread it because i'm going to make you you'll 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 find it that the reading where he's it it does feel more like shedding a delusion than you know making the the sherlockian deduction at the end And, like, as far as him not kind of castigating himself for not realizing it earlier, well, he's just now, you know, under the moment of duress, figured it out. There will be plenty of time for him to kick himself later. So, Um, anyway, we are not quite there yet. First, we have the most important part of the end of the year, the climactic Quidditch match. (laughs) This totally, did it remind you, too, like, I completely got the vibe. I don't know if, like, I just grew up, like, going to these, like, college football games at USC University of Southern California in LA like this I, I very it totally like pinged the vibe for me of oh I'm at this you know ginormous stadium having this like, you know at this like thoroughly stupid you know experience like everybody being rah 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 at this pointless uh, sports exhibition um, especially like after this fact where they like the whole scene at <laughs> as I'm thinking about it now the scene at the door that we're about to go to um, felt to me like, okay, the rest of the football game is going on and we're all back at the hot dog stand. We're <laughs> <laughs> just like, so this entire thing happens right next to the hot dog stand. Here's what I found on the web. And apparently my phone, Google has a big opinion about that. That's hilarious. Give me one sec. Yeah, I, uh, like, for me, it's, I, I mean, I've been to a, 
I don't know, a handful of each kind of sport game, except for soccer. Um, I played a bunch of soccer as a kid, but, you know, I it can be fun for, like, the camaraderie with the people that you're sitting next to, like, assuming it's your friends and stuff, but I've never cared about the outcome of the game, and I think that's, like, a large component mm-hmm. to enjoying it. And so, like, it's fun watching the skill. Like, I think basketball is my favorite sport to watch in person, other than hockey, because you get to sit in a nice refrigerated room, which is nice <laughs> and comfortable. Because it's um, air-conditioned. Exactly. But, uh... Like, just the, the action and the, the spectacle is fun. But, like, I can't name any of the players. I can't yeah. really care who wins. But it's fun to watch. But, anyway, Harry doesn't really care about, like, the skill. He's There is one little beat that I really like about it, though, where he talks about how, uh, like, Lee Jordan and Professor McGonagall, I think they that also did the, like, whatever you call it, the commentating for the games in the books. Yeah. And yeah, the, the whole, like, the kind of interaction between Lee Jordan and Professor McGonagall, I don't remember from the original books, but like, I, like, I like that as a good, like, the interaction between them. But it did a good job because the Lee Jordan thing, at least for me from the original books, stuck out as just a really odd sort of, like, because you're so, like, excited and involved in, in announcing the thing. And it was this very, like, kind of stuck out in the originals as like spending a lot of words on describing like one kid, you know, commentating the game. Um, and it like, sort of like reproduced the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I really like that, actually. Yeah, and Harry says that he had to admit that Lee Jordan and Professor McGonagall had a wonderful comedic routine with um, Jordan as the banana man and Professor McGonagall as the straight man. man. Exactly. And uh, there was the other bit about like how um, there was just a funny throwaway line somewhere about how uh, like it's about the running for the House Cup and stuff. And now Hufflepuff usually wins, or is usually really close, but Slytherin keeps winning because Snape is super unfair. And that he'd been taking points uh, unfairly from the Hufflepuffs for like the last uh, seven years or so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, so I don't know how much the Quidditch game is worth summarizing, other than, you know what, there's there's the funny bit. This is really funny in the, like, it's going through. So here's what's going on. Snape, or uh, uh, Quirrell had promised with his Christmas wish to fulfill the the wish of whoever won the Christmas battle, right? Whoever had the most Mm -hmm. points. And since that was a three-way tie, he had to to satisfy all three wishes with one plot. And Harry wanted to play play, uh, Quidditch without a snitch because Quirrell didn't like his first wish. And then (laughs) uh, Hermione and Draco both wished for their houses to win the cup. And so Mm. uh, since he had publicly said, this is what I'll try and do, I, you know, my first few read-throughs, I think I thought that he did some sort of spell to the snitch. But on this one, what I'm thinking has just happened ha- is the Seekers have decided they're not going to try and catch it. See, I think I fully engaged my don't-give-a-fuck gene. I just think it's funny. So, <laughs> like, because oh, because yes, it, 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 it exemplifies the, the silliness of having this be the stop bell for the game. Of, like, exactly. someone having to well, yeah, and it. because they just we, decide, yeah, fuck it. And we, and we do get a lot, of, we, get, we get quite a bit of, of airtime for Cedric Diggory. Which I kept like going back to Robert Pattinson since you had mentioned that recently. Um, but yeah, like he's getting all kind of bent out of shape about the politics of what's going on, and he thinks like, "Oh, wait a minute the the Slytherins are not just trying to win this game; they're trying to like stretch it. They're, they're basically like trying to what's the, there's some betting term for it, but you know they're trying to run up the game in order to get enough points to not only win the game, but uh, but to take the house cup with the points that they get." Like, oh, they're trying to munchkin this thing. Right. That's 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 the part that's funny is uh, at like 170 to 140, uh, Cedric jumps out of his seat. He's like, those bastards. Those bastards. And then this kid next to him, yeah, who do they think they are? Scoring points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That one always gets me. And that's where they realize that, oh, no, they're trying to steal the house cup from us. And then that's where Harry whips out his whatever two-meter-tall banner. That just so, expi- so I didn't get this. That Like, I mean, I, I got – I picked up on the point of, like, um, Harry thinks that the Quidditch rules are dumb. Um, not that I have a problem with that. But, like, so he says – what was the words? Uh, the exact words were just by just, a just by clock. a clock. So what does that mean when he said that? Just by a clock, because it's not like that explains the whole quid or the whole snitch thing. It it kind of does. So like this this was covered. I mean, for us like a year ago, but when he was first talking with Ron about it, um, Ron was telling him the rules, and he was like, "Well, that makes no sense. Why is like catching this flying mosquito worth fifteen times the points of scoring a basket?" And like. Ron points out, like, well, you know, it's their skill. You know, they've got to fly fast to catch it or whatever. And that's how the game ends. And he's like, no, they just get rid of the snitch. And you can have, like, a regular sport that doesn't suck. And then Ron asks him, look, well, how will we know the game is over? And then Harry says, by a clock. Uh, so so the, by by just by a clock, he means, like, oh, this should be over at a specific time. Well, then he has... That was the part but, I didn't but, understand. Like, but, I, but, I, I didn't understand but, what he was saying with that phrase. Beneath Beneath the just by a clock and then the runtime for the game, it has a snitch with a blinking red X over it. I gotcha. Okay. And so it's like, he's basically just set up a banner that says snitches are stupid. And Yeah, I got that part. Yeah, I didn't understand like yeah. what it meant, but he's saying like just by a clock means like, oh, this game should end at a time and then that would completely, that, not completely. The yeah, you, mecha- don't, you the, don't need the snitch the, to end the game. The game theory, yeah. Yeah, the game theory of this game would be much improved if it was time limited. Okay. Yeah, that that was the part that I did. I'm like, what is, what's the point you're trying to make here? Right. Mr. So, like, imagine Evans if the way Ferris. you got to the Super Bowl was by sc- like your team scoring the most points throughout the season. Like, mm. you could literally just make a make an arrangement with the other team to not like end the game until you play, both teams play have the Washington Generals. Points. Play the Washington yeah. Generals every time. So it would just like that's how silly this is, and that's why he's saying like, look, look at how funny this is, and. You know, we get we get some more Quidditch stuff, but we're not. Well, this isn't the exciting bit. The you know, the fun bit is at some Eventually, point he notices that and Her- well, Harry is sort there. of like withdrawn into like, okay, fuck it, this is boring, and a, and a whole bunch of the rest of Hogwarts also thinks this is boring. So I'm just going to read my book. That's, right, that's where Harry goes. Bringing and a textbook to a sports game is the epitome <laughs> of nerddom, and I give him a gold star for it. I I relate. It wouldn't be a textbook. Uh, my flavor of nerd, it would have been like a. Piers Anthony crap science fiction or a crap fantasy novel. But yes, I relate. Because so, I, I wasn't as together as Harry as far as like learning valuable information. Well, you know, we all have our something somethings. <laughs> I was just, I don't know. You know, that's the thing is, you know, you, you learn knowledge from books, but you get experience from fiction. I think that there's t- there's plenty of value in just reading fiction and enjoying it, right? I was, well, and it's been, like half the science I know is probably like from because I did I pro, hard science fiction is probably half of all of the fiction I read, so I would say like most well at least the majority of the science I know is you know by virtue of hard science fiction I've read that I then went in later and found out like okay that was actually like legit true, like most of Ringworld is basically okay as far as like the science of it works, essentially all of The Martian. Uh, you know, I never read The Martian, actually. Oh, man. But, yeah. You're in for a treat. You saw the movie? Anyway, I did. Imagine that, movie. except a lot more fun. 
especially if he got off of the nerd parts like he gets into calculating like exactly how many calories per day he can grow with with potatoes see i could tell it is more exciting than it sounds no see see, even that part like the like calculating how many calories do i need like i i can get into that great okay you'll love this i mean the audiobook was amazing The, the guy like voice acted he didn't just read it it was awesome Nice. I think I've plugged it before. Not on this show. This yeah. Other. But anyway, check out The Martian. And check out how this kid just shows up and says, Mr. Potter. And he hands him an envelope. And he says, it's me with the envelope you gave me. I know you said not to talk to you. And then Harry's like, well, then don't talk to me. Which, <laughs> don't talk to me. Did we even you know, get a name for this kid? Because like his role in the story is so much to be just like a red shirt. Like You do not actually exist. You are a plot device. Like that's, <laughs> that is his purpose is to be a right. plot device. Yeah, he doesn't get a name. He gets yeah, older yeah. Uh, Hufflepuff boy. Nice. A Hufflepuff to make him even more like, you know. Exactly. More of a more contributor. <laughs> All right. So here Harry gets his, uh, his letter from, quote, himself from the future. Yeah. With a bunch of stuff about that note that that I d- totally did not pick up on is supposed to be like suspicious. Cause we, at the end of the chapter, we, we find out that this is not actually a note from Harry, but a note trying to pretend to be a note from Harry. Um, but none of it. I was totally like, Oh, okay, sure. Note from Harry. Cause nothing we have that at me as weird when I, read yeah, nothing, years. nothing at all, especially, well, especially because it was sort of, it was very, uh, like the whole, you know, six in the square or six and seven in a square or something like that was all very, uh, Pretentiously put in a in a way that was totally on brand for Harry. It's written yeah. in Harry speak for sure. Exactly. You know, yeah, beware so the totally, constellation and help the watcher yeah, of stars. Yeah. Like all of this, you know, was, I totally was really close. It. Yeah, I totally bought it. Um, I like how yeah. the code for Dumbledore is the wise and the well-meaning. Wise and the well-meaning. Actually, I took that as being like so. Yes, Dumbledore, but I took that as being like basically all the faculty, the wise and the well-meaning was like. Oh, that's a good point. I, yeah, I lumped uh, yeah McGonagall and Flitwick into the same pile yeah yeah all right so um this also uh this is the moment where he's like looking around he knows that draco isn't there and then he's like starting to panic and he's like nope not gonna be too late this time i've actually you know like i know when to be there now this yeah. isn't going to be like last time and and we've like done that at this point like and he's like i couldn't do this alone and yeah. Like, the Cedric thing was a misdirect because instead he brings along his minion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we we didn't get any indication of that at all until he actually... So that's Le Soft Lestrange. Um, we did, did we get any indication that he had actually done that until up to the point that he, you know, orders his minion to do a thing? Nope. I don't... Yeah, it's all secret stealthy the whole time. Yeah. Because, yeah, he does talk about, like, oh, you know, it would be helpful if I brought on... If I brought... Cedric Diggory with me. Does he also talk about? I can't remember now. Does he also talk about bringing Draco? He does. Well, he does later. Is, well, is, is it in this moment that he considers like trying to go find Draco? I think he, so. He he thought about it, and then he realized that Draco didn't appear to be at the game, and that bringing mm-hmm. along another first year wouldn't give you that much of a comparative advantage. Yeah. So he's like, I need someone better than Draco. Also, where yeah. the fuck is Draco? Also, is this letter from me from the future because Draco's in trouble? So like, yeah. all that. Um, the. Uh, <laughs> the the funny thing is like uh well you know we'll there'll be at some point at the end of the book we'll cover like all of like the awesome fan speculation on all this random shit but there's a really funny fan thing that people would not let go this whole time that came out of this moment so um in short like 
uh, you know, where's Cedric? Like, he thought about bringing Cedric Diggory. Why didn't he bring him? Mm -hmm. And in theory, he could have brought, like, six of them, right? He could go back each hour and grab a Cedric and bring them all with him. (laughs) Yeah. Did we ever cover Is Harry able to, like, bring passengers along through his time turnerishness? We don't see him bring uh, another human with him with the time turner, although they do that in canon because the chain's long enough. But Cedric probably has his own time turner because he's taking literally all the electives. That's right. He covered that. Um, yeah. So he ends up at the third floor corridor because it's the bloody stupid place the, in the Hogwarts. The bloody stupid place. Yes. Yes. That place has just sort of had a like big marquee drawn on it the whole time about something's happening here. Third floor corridor. Dumbledore in the very first scene you ever saw a Dumbledore said, don't go there. It's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. And this is the part that, and I don't know like why it really matters, but it's some like it really helped add to the vibe of the whole thing that like as this whole like super intense scene that's about to happen here in front of this door in a corridor um, happened that like something about it, like, okay, there's, you know, this tense interaction between all these, you know, several different characters while there's this big Quidditch match going on and hundreds and hundreds of other you know, students, faculty, whatever, are paying attention to that. Like, there's this big, like, spectator event going on, and they're not at all paying attention to this super important thing that's happening right here. There's something about that that, I don't know, it just sort of helped add to, like, the, the tension of the scene. It makes it like a heist movie kind of thing where, yeah. you know, you wait for the president to be out giving a speech, then you steal the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. Yeah. And awesome. that, yeah, and that it's all sort of like happening in the, you know, while, you know, it's happening in this this other moment of it, of unrelated intensity. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, it did a good job of sort of like adding to the kind of the vibe of the scene. Totally. And so all that Harry knows about the, the third floor corridor is that apparently the final room contains a magic mirror that would show you a reflection in some situation you find highly appealing, which is apparently the big payoff. <laughs> now what? But, so like we all know that because like the mirror of Erised thing. What was? I don't recall. Like why does Harry know this at this point? Uh, it's this is our first time of him hearing of him mentioning it to us. Uh, so is it just that, that like he read it in a thing? No, someone probably told him. Like this oh, isn't okay. written down somewhere, right? This is it's only been yeah. in the the hallway this year um but like the other fun thing just about it and i i don't know why this if there is a setup that this pays off for or if it's just a fun little detail but harry doesn't know about any of the other like traps on the way there and he says when he thinks about when you think about it that meant that the students had gone through had been surprisingly scrupulous about not ruining the puzzle for others (laughs) maybe there's a sign down there saying don't give it away just as a favor to me sincerely headmaster dumbledore (laughs) (laughs) now it wasn't because i like this is all run together in me especially because there's been so many of the of the original books that were all about and then there's a thing in hogwarts that you need to discover but what because this was like the in the original this was the thing inside the magic toilet in like you had to get through the the drain inside the girls' bathroom, blah de blah. Like the mirror Vera said was inside the where the like past the secret snakey thing. Uh you Isn't have successfully it? conflated the books. Uh, uh, see that's gr- like it all the girls' together. toilet led to the chamber of secrets. Isn't that where the mirror Vera said was, or was that No, it's in the third floor corridor it. at the end of the first book. So that's so the whole third floor corridor thing is is OG? Yeah, that's it's the, all. Uh, see, it all just so totally fucking runs together. All of that and the uh, like, the traps and stuff leading up to it. All of that uh-huh. is from the first book, the 
depending if you're British or American, Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone. Philosopher's Stone. Um, the the bathroom and the Chamber of Secrets. That's all in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, okay. It's right there. See, yeah, yeah. It's it's in the name. See, that's the thing. Like they alternate. Like oh, and then there's some secret thing inside Hogwarts that you have to get to. Yeah. Like that's, Where's the MacGuffin? How do we get there? Exactly. Yeah, actually, I think I remember having said that, having after reading like the first five or six books, like like books two through four or five are the same book over and over again. And so, yeah. Yeah, different stuff, yeah, but yeah. 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 Um, so, where were we? Oh, yeah. Uh, Harry gets there. And uh, I like how he says that his pouch is loaded with useful muggle things, useful wizarding <laughs> things, and everything that could possibly be a quest item. And then a nice little flex for Professor McGonagall, who like expanded the capacity um, when he asked about who could, rec- you know, who could expand it for him. Yes, she's like, "Oh yeah, I can do hard magic on your stuff." Um, <laughs> and then uh, he's got the thing that makes his eyeglasses stick to his face that he used for battles. That was uh, also from yes. the canon books, so they didn't oh, fall off. So his glasses didn't fall off during Quidditch. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he gets sort of like his own internal voice about like, "Oh, you should like sort of hang back and listen for what's going on." And that's kind of what that's what keeps him from just sort of like barging in on this scene between Snape and Quirrell. Exactly. Well, first, yeah. I think he feels the tickle at the back of his mind, which tells him that he's approaching Professor Quirrell. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So then that's where uh, Quirrell is apparently just like laying on the floor next to Snape and being like, <laughs> you should have been at the Quidditch game. Blah. Right, and <laughs> It's you know it's not That's what, and we do talk to me. I, you know I didn't I, I didn't like uh, dig enough into the into the actual disc. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say like it it would have been so much more annoying I think for Quirrell to do like the whole like Carrie can you carry me through the whole like all the traps because I'm so <laughs> sick and tired like having the you know him being able to stand up and be healthy or you know act healthy mm-hmm. I guess uh, on his way through this stuff. Um, I think just will make the lab, you know, getting through the third floor corridor a lot more interesting yeah. than if he had to pretend to be sick the whole time. Harry, can you grab me my walker? <laughs> now, see, I didn't, and I didn't sort of like pick apart the, like those very last few paragraphs in this chapter about like, cause it did, we were given enough description at this very end to know that like this whole, Oh, I'm sick and dying thing was complete bullshit. Right. Like, because it does describe him as just like standing up. But like we do get the, at least the impression I got was like, okay, no, he's been fine this whole time and it's all been bullshit. Like we got enough description to get that, yeah? Um, it certainly leans that way. Yeah. I don't think we get anything that says, uh, I'm trying to skim. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, he seems able to not act sick anymore. Yeah. I guess yeah, was that, that was sort of, cause it, like my, my, intuitive takeaway what of it was oh no quirrell's been completely fine this entire time and since now he knows the jig is up he's like stopped pretending yeah. um but uh, yeah i guess we didn't get enough to like know that like explicitly but that was kind of my that was the vibe i got from it yeah no more or less i think i mean the fact that he's standing up talking smoothly yeah. and yeah. you know every like he's not at you know uh again doing the whole like I'm dying. I'm di- yeah, so that's making me wonder, like, have has every, like, oh, Quirrell as zombie scene, like, have all of those been theater? Has there been nothing to it at all, and it's been entirely theater, which would be very on-brand for Quirrell? Is this all a giant long con? I love yes. it. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, that seems like that's almost like, like quintessential quintessential Quirrell, Brian says it with cues. Um, that, yeah, quite. they, like, quite. 
um, yeah, the like this has all been a very you know premeditated, super long game, you know long con game of I need to do this now so that six months from now you'll be convinced that I meant it. Um, yeah, totally works. Smart move. So yeah. anyway, uh, I do like how um, he says something about. Like, you were easy to follow because I put a track on your wand. I guess, you know, I put a GPS device in your shoe. Um, It seems, like, like, super offended that he would dare to do such a thing. I assume tampering with somebody's wand is, like... Feels kind of personal. Yeah, it feels super personal. You know, it'd be like me messing with your phone when you, you know, left the room or something. You you only get one wand. Right. Even Even more than a phone. Like, I get a new phone every few years, but you only get one wand. Yep. Dick move, man. Anyway, then something sure, sure. about how like Dumbledore had Snape guard the door because he thinks that there's like a distraction meant to pull his attention. And Quirrell says something about how like my for all my magic, I can't find him at all. I forget what the exact words were, but they were just like flexed at how badass yeah, Dumbledore like, is to me. Like he might as well be in another realm the, of existence. Yeah, and where the fuck is Dumbledore? Right. He's in where the upside down. <laughs> what's what's another tangential dimension? Uh, yeah, I'm lost. Yeah, I know. We'll go with the upside down. He's in the. <laughs> he's where the Ender Dragons are. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the the Nether. The end of the Nether. That's right. Um. Oh, and then like there's a, a rustling and a soft thud as if he like oh this is where apparently Crow collapses because this is yeah. all around the corner so we don't get to see it. Yeah, this, yeah. Only, Harry can only hear it happening. He does can't see what's actually going on. Oh, for the love of Merlin, get up, you! And then yes. he kicks him. Yeah. <laughs> now you got to think, like again, playing it back. Like uh, Quirrell knows that Harry's watching, so this is again like all theater for Harry's benefit, right? Especially, yeah. Now that I'm saying it this again, like yeah. Especially if you think that like he's not actually collapsed, like he's pretending to collapse. So he's decided that this is this is the right moment to let Harry think that I'm you know collapsing and falling apart. Exactly. Yeah, and the other thing, and that's the well, I will, we'll talk about it maybe a little more when we get to the end. Like, you know, how does how does Voldemort know that uh, Harry deduced all of that when he's sitting there thinking? Because all he was doing is sitting there thinking. Yeah. But we know from Quirrell's very short interlude when he's burning through Hogwarts to try and get to Harry when he's fighting the troll, that he can sense Harry's emotions. Where yeah. all Harry gets is like this sense of doom. Yeah. Apparently, not only does uh, Quirrell have a larger range on it, but he can sense Harry's emotions all the time too. And so he yeah. apparently, when Harry was sitting there thinking, he's like, "Okay, yeah." If he's sitting there having a panic attack, that probably means that he's guessed what's going on here. Well, that yeah, um, and that's what's so weird about the end of this chapter is like Harry. Base, I I am now only assuming that damn near everything Harry just figured out is actually true, but so much of this chapter gets left in a cliffhanger where we're only sort of left to assume that the Harry that the things Harry has deduced are true, but we don't get a lot of them confirmed. So yeah, a lot of this, you know, sort of math about like how, how are Quirrell's calculations figuring into what he thinks about what Harry will know about them are, are still like, we're sort of like, even like, okay, now I can kind of, you know, put together all the things I would assume from this, but like none of it's yet laid out. Yeah. We have, uh, a reveal, but not all the answers. Right, because Harry sort of basically says, "Why?" Well, and we get so it's only the last sentence where he's like, "Hello, Tom Riddle." That we're not like, "Okay, they're the, the same person." And Harry already figured that out, but that's again only in those last few moments. So we're given sort of like kind of a confirmation that like, yes, all of these hints we've been dropping about like, oh, Harry and Quirrell are the same part of a you know 
splintered soul are yes, true, but we have not yet explained to you at all what any of that fucking means. Yeah, which is, we, the, uh, which is the cliffhanger I'm left at this week. Yep. Luckily, this isn't the end of the book. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, yeah, Harry rounds the corner and Snape's like, you know, where's where's your escort? What the hell? And Harry, like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I don't really know. Yeah, like, <laughs> Harry's like, There's, it's super important that I be here, but I can't. Tell, not really sure why. He, he's falling back on simple honesty. Yeah. Um, then he does all these like, you know, whatever reveal imposter spells on him, and it's just Harry mm-hmm. and. Then this is where, um, oh yeah, more footsteps are approaching. And he disillusions Harry because Harry doesn't put on his cloak fast enough. Mm-hmm. And so then Harry goes and like, I don't know. Now, how does that work? Because, so we find out in a second that Draco has, has been in the room the whole time or is, maybe isn't about to. But so is Draco also just under some like generic disillusion charm? Because I sort of got the impression that Draco had the invisibility cloak or something. Uh, he has an invisibility cloak. And what is Anne in it? Like he's got like some time turner. No, this is a version I think of it. The in canon, this was a thing too. Like invisibility cloaks are a thing. Oh, okay. So he doesn't Harry have the, invisibility the best cloak. invisibility cloak okay. ever made. Um, he doesn't but, have the Deathly Hallows one. He's just right. got some generic plebeian version of the invisibility cloak, which apparently is still a you know rare and expensive item. But uh, yeah, but he's a Malfoy, so he's probably got there two more go. in his trunk. Exactly. So, got, he has the Eddie Bauer invisibility cloak. That's right. And Harry's got the... Uh, Harry's got the Costco invisibility cloak. No, vice versa. Uh, Harry's, Harry's got the... Yeah, I guess Harry's got the like original, like original, original. Yeah, the OG, the OG yes. good one. And everyone else has the Costco everyone off-brand, the Costco. manufactured in China one. Yes. And Draco's um, got the Eddie Bauer, which is actually just the Costco one. That's right. Harry's got the... Uh, Coach one. Perfect. That's the expensive purse brand, right? Oh, whoops. Whoopsie. Okay, so we were recording on Tuesday, and your computer exploded, so we like had to postpone it. until, what, Sunday morning? So uh, Yeah. This can be, like, totally off-putting to anybody listening, because we were just, I think, literally in the middle of a sentence. Yeah, I'll find somewhere to chop it that sounds semi-organic, but there's going to be a non-smooth transition to this point so especially as we forget all the things that we've talked so yes in the last 10 seconds five days went by for us so yeah and i know what you guys are thinking like man it's got to be kind of annoying to try and pick up and record five days later and keep your train of thought actually it's going to be super easy barely an inconvenience they're like quit with the, quit stalling keep talking something right. about an eddie bauer invisibility cloak or something something <laughs> I, had to go back. I had to go back and listen oh yeah that's right well, I forget exactly what we were talking about before that, but at some point we were at the third floor corridor and we, you know, that was the thing. We had the opportunity to finish recording on Tuesday night after like an hour after we yeah. recovered the file on the computer and made everything work, but yeah, thank, thank I wasn't going to do half-ass justice to this chapter. So yeah, here we go. Yeah. A bunch of randos show up at the third floor door where there's already Harry and Snape and Professor Quirrell. But not just randos, the important randos, like That's not right. and... It's uh, Daphne Greengrass too. It's all, it's all the the noble randos. Yeah, all the important people. Yes. Not oh, and, and not life. Susan slash Susan Bones. Oh, that's right. And not Susan. Love it. Um. <laughs> yeah. I like how. Uh, so they basically they they try and you know fish Snape with some half-assed lie, and then they're like, okay, look, hold on. Or Snape says, uh, 
or sorry, let me get this in order. Susan Bones says, look, the truth is Jacob Malfoy's missing and we think he went down there. And he's like, if Mr. Malfoy's missing, why haven't the R's been notified? And this is the best, best line. Because, because of reasons. Because of reasons. That's like <laughs> such a, that's like a nerd meme. I know, because it's reasons. It's a good one. It's a, I like it. It's solid. Yeah, yeah I like, like the vision. I, I don't think it was written that way, but like the vision it got. So like for these first, you know, a couple of paragraphs, we don't know that they're full of shit and just trying to like cover for Draco so he can sneak in. But like as I sort of get the impression that Snape was never fooled. But then like the vision I got was like Snape not breaking eye contact with Tonk's bones, just sort of like reaches back behind him and grabs an invisible Draco and just like grabs him by the scruff of the neck. I know like, the cut thing that here. shit out. <laughs> Snape is really good at doing like the uh, the triple bluff thing. So yeah, they exactly. ask him like, you know, is the door opened or closed mysteriously? And he's like, no, actually, now get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh and then, God. well, hold on. Uh, you don't occasionally open the door to check in there, do you? And then like he freezes in place and, you know, he gets this panic look and then he runs oh, around yeah. and grabs the metal knocker. And then instead of opening the door, he just grabs uh, mm-hmm. Invisible Draco. Yeah, he's like, no, like, actually, like, I, don't, I don't test opening the door. <laughs> some kind of Mr. Miyagi move, just like... <laughs> Exactly. When you can snatch a Draco from my hand, it's time for you to. Oh, that's that's kung fu. But and then, yeah. Then of course Draco's next best line because he's just playing at Sherlock without quite being able to Sherlock <laughs> properly, and so he's got this uh, this notion that what was their theory? Uh, Dumbledore's trying to get the Philosopher's Stone away from Nicholas Flamel. Dumbledore doesn't think anyone ought to have immortality, so Dumbledore tried to convince Flamel that the Dark Lord was coming back and needed the stone to revive, and asked Flamel to give it to him, yada yada. It's this whole awesome long chain of reasoning that is semi-plausible. And so their, their, their propounded ex, uh, explanation for what they're doing here is to try and get the stone just away from Dumbledore. Not to like take it for themselves, just to keep it from Dumbledore being all-powerful. Yeah, and, like, then, and this is like another, a little few more examples of like Draco's in his like newfound... Uh, slash r slash i am a rationalist like he's very he's very proud of himself he like strikes me as like this is the guy who just read out the shrug for the first time a week ago um he's figured it all out how did you come to discover dumbledore's plot mr malfoy <laughs> did, what did you say deduction i deduced I, it i deduced it from evidence I, from, from deduced it from evidence i destroyed you with facts and logic i just like how i deduced <laughs> it from evidence isn't an explanation Um, anyway so their their plan is just apparently to steal the whole mirror and then before things oh wait no this was the other oh yeah i just noticed yes Uh, in my notes i added about eight extra exclamation points onto i deduced it from evidence and then the number one and then the word one and then two more exclamation points it was perfect so then uh snape this is actually like i think i can't tell if he i think he was there for a lot of the spew fights right so I think he knows uh, yeah. about Tonks being Susan, and yet he was still... literally there. I think wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. For for at least many of them, but then yeah. or did in that in like the big forty clan members rumble it was so Tonks was there, but did, did was Tonks outed in that moment? No, like she got, that was Tonks. But, feet. Okay, and we didn't know it was Tonks. I mean, we, we knew, but the observers had, did yeah. not know that was Tonks. Exactly. Okay. Um, but yeah, but, that one. But was Snape was there. The... Snape was in the room. That was. Yeah, but I think he was yeah. there for some of the other fights too. Yeah. Um, so he, I think he's aware. But he asks basically, uh, this was. Uh, so he asks them, um, "Have any of you noticed any of the others behaving in unusual fashion? Especially if there's a peculiar object they have in their possession, or they can use spells a first year should not know." And that's like basically him fishing. Like, does any of them have a Horcrux? Yeah. 
And I'm not sure if he's actually asking that or if he's just looking for an excuse to out uh, Susan Bones there. I guess. And now, if he's, so he's asking, like, does anybody have a peculiar object and he's going after a Horcrux? Like, a Horcrux, nobody would be doing anything with a Horcrux other than trying to get away with it. Like, it's not, you don't use a Horcrux for anything. So if he's well, talking unless, about somebody's got an unusual object, they would just keep it in their pocket, wherever it was. Well, but, like, unless they were being controlled by the shade of Voldemort to go down to try and get the stone. Mm-hmm. Which I yeah, I guess I oh, was yeah, just thinking happen. like, oh, if you had a, like an unusual object that you were like, using, you know, because you had the, you know, the wand of awesomeness plus five, like you were using it and people would notice like, okay, where'd you get the wand of awesomeness? But if it's just a horcrux, you would just like have the thing and stick it in a bag and not let anybody know about it. Yeah, but I think um, in the second book, Ginny gets the diary, which was then retconned into being mm. a horcrux and it kind of possesses her to open up the chamber of secrets and do all this stuff. So I think that wasn't retconned. I was like, it was the, oh, I guess it was because it was just sort of like the spirit. It's kind of not so much retconned. It was in that I book mean, a special they, thing with with the spirit of Tom Riddle in it. So yeah, but they didn't they didn't talk about Horcruxes until I think book five or yeah. six. Oh, is it sort of like established that that Rowling Rowling came up with Horcruxes like later? It wasn't like part of the plan the whole time. I'm not sure what the plan was, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm just assuming that. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd mentioned them earlier. Yeah. But in any case, uh, <laughs> so. He's basically, so he tells Tonks, like, all right, well, you know, it's not too late to expel you from Hogwarts two days before your graduation, which would be a dreadful tragedy. From your perspective, that is. From my perspective, <laughs> it would be hilarious. <laughs> Hi, hilarious. Um, and then things get even more insane when uh, Professor Sprout shows up, and she's just like, what's going on here? Everyone wants Yeah, and like, at great. each one of these, like, and this is sort of like, again, because uh, in, in, during this five-day interregnum, when we could talk about a little bit in between already having talked about it. One of the things I said was I was kind of disappointed. I wanted this whole scene to be a little more instead of it being like Harry, you know, sticking his finger up in the air and going, aha, I have deduced it from evidence um, that it, that it feel more like a, like these scales falling from his eyes, that it's more like a, a restoration of sanity of and of him realizing things that he should have realized all along and sort of seeing like seeing a level of him having been brainwashed. Um, and yeah, and you said again, I think you're yeah, a little bit right. Like a lot of this stuff was him sort of saying like, oh, why didn't I get this? But I still kind of wished I had seen him a little more like seeing that as like, because he did to some extent saying, oh, look at all, now I've like discovered all of these things I should have seen all along. But um, I didn't see him going like, what the hell was wrong with me that I didn't realize these things as they became like increasingly weird and out of place. And why didn't everybody else see it too? Like I kind of, maybe, maybe we got that coming up, but. But yeah, you're right. I think I, I was a little too uh, quick to jump to Harry just being overly proud of himself. But it was to some extent him, him just kind of like, you know, watching each of the shoes drop and being like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Yeah. So that part was kind of cool. Yeah, as far as the, like, what the hell is wrong with me this whole time, you know, maybe there's more discussion of that later on or something, but he doesn't, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. There's not, in this moment, I'm not sure how long he stands there thinking with, you know, yeah. Quirrell slash Voldemort right behind him. Yeah, but, I guess maybe it's like, just like wishful thinking on my part that I'm I'm wishing that there's that this is some sort of like, well, so up till now implied, but then explicitly acknowledged that some weird sort of mind fuckery that Quirrell Voldemort guy has over everybody that it wasn't just like, like, oh, you were just all being stupid. It was like, no, you were all look overlooking these weird, obvious things because he had some like magical gaslighting power over all of you, including Dumbledore, including McGonagall, like everybody was just looking straight past these, you know, weirdly obvious things. And it sort of had this like creepy, um, 
what's the Stepford Wives kind of thing? Everybody just sort of like smiling and nodding along to stuff that shouldn't have been okay with anybody. But oh, sure. I don't know. There's like a, there's like that's like an extra creepy like oh the the killers in our house vibe to it that he's able to just be so like obviously evil, wrong, and powerful, and it just doesn't occur to anybody that there's anything strange about it. <laughs> the the so what you're saying is that you would like it if the if the Horcruxes were powered by gaslight. <laughs> by the power that that should be a th- that should be some kind of thing. Uh, that should be a trope, right? A gaslight trope. But yeah, that it has some that it's some sort of like extra implied power of Voldemort's that he can just you know say ridiculously stupid shit that any normal person would just be like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" And it just works. Because he's like all charming and you know wife beady. He's like, yeah, oh, baby, for... you don't you don't have a problem with that? That's fine. <laughs> you know, you must be I, crazy. We'll we'll see where that goes. But for for my own understanding, at this point in the story, when I was reading it, it was like, I think I just assumed that no one thought that it was at all plausible that Quarrel was Voldemort under the hood because like what, that the 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 prior odds of that just seemed like not worth considering. And like Dumbledore says something about how when. Mm-hmm. Uh, after Hermione dies, he says, you know, maybe it was Voldemort uh, doing something this or that, but I never thought he would tarry in an enemy fortress for one second longer than he had yeah. to. And so even Dumbledore was thinking, you know, Voldemort, if he's, he thinks Voldemort's out there, which almost no one else does. And he's like, there's no way he would just hang out in Hogwarts. He wouldn't sit here, you know, at the dinner table with me. Um, well, yeah, but the big one is all like the winking at the camera with everybody saying like, well, because it's the Defense Against the Dark Arts professor. It was like, well, yeah. <laughs> And the Defense Against Dark Arts Professor is more powerful than any other one you've ever seen. So there's some, but they've all, yeah, they've I all know, been bad like, weird in their own way, but they haven't been pulled yeah, out before. Yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. Um, I just like that there's, it adds this like super sinister, creepy, like all kind of, I was just like child predator, yes, but like just every kind of bad psychopath vibe that they can just smile at you and say something that, you know, if you were in your right state of mind should seem patently ridiculous. And kind of like the arrogance that goes along with it of just being like, oh, I can just lie badly to you and you'll still believe me. Um, I think that just like adds a whole like extra level of evil to the whole thing. That would be cool. I'm hoping it's still there. That'd be cool. I'm just going to decide it's there. That works. Sure. Sure. All right. So Sprout shows up. And... Oh, yeah. Why I got on that tangent. I like like these are like like Sprout showing up. I think that's like the what's second to last you know, straw on the camel's back where like things are getting increasingly weird for hair. And he's like, wait, what? Um, and especially because like Sprout, Sprout's role in this whole thing has just sort of been to like be an NPC. Like she never shows up convincingly. <laughs> like she's always just like, like out of place and unrealistic and like, yeah. Cause Harry's like, wait, this is not right. Like, cause that's what the fourth set of people to randomly show up at the right place at the right time. Yeah, and so I think Harry at this point he's wondering if like it's possible that he set this up himself because he does still have an mm. hour left on his time turner. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it was Sprout who showed up when he was uh, staring down those bullies on his first day of school. Yeah, yeah Sprout to show up. Yeah, and yet, crazy. if it were well, I you know I think didn't I, I'm remembering that. Like, that's here, what right? I said. Like that very first scene where Sprout shows up in the library with the bullies. I said something like, "Oh, she seems like that was like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern." Like. Oh, she's just some like random fucking character from the originals that we just decided to write into the scene. And then she just like, and then exit Sprout left. There and was she walks a, in and says some shit and then leaves again and had this kind of surreal vibe to it. There was a mention somewhere in these two chapters about how Draco's latest theory was that uh, Professor Sprout had been assigning and grading less homework around the time that Hermione got killed. 
thus, mm. thus uh, implicating her in it. Yeah. And when Harry is talking with Professor Quirrell about like who sent the troll and all this and that, um, Quirrell says uh, like it must have been you know it can't have been uh, what do you call it um, the one where you get to control people. Uh, um, not Imperius. Yeah, Imperius yeah. He's like I don't know if the wards would set off Imperius, therefore Drake or therefore uh, Lord Malfoy doesn't know either. But it <laughs> could have been legitimacy for you know Professor Sinestra wandering around at night or something. Yeah. And Harry says, or Professor Sprout, because she's the last person anyone would ever expect. Yeah. And there's a and line. And it seems like we've, says, la- we've landed on that theory pretty, sl- not proven, but like that's kind of our leading theory is that the fake duel between uh, Hermione and Draco was done by Sprout and not by Quirrell Direct, like at Quirrell's command, but right. actually carried out by Sprout. Yeah, when Harry says, or Professor Sprout, because she's the last person anyone would expect, I think the next line was, there was a minute pause, and then Quirrell says, perhaps. Perhaps. (laughs) And he's like, oh, you guessed it. Um, I think that's what's going on here. So anyway, then uh, Professor Sprout is like, all right, everyone get out of here. Um, Like, you know, use your communications mirrors, call the Aurors. And then this is where Quirrell jumps in, and he's like, Snape, why Sprout? Uh, Cough. And... Mm -hmm. Uh, memory charm implies professor and then this is where uh uh did you happen to listen to the audiobook in the last five days uh, no, crushing it nonstop? you no. motherfucker that's all right anyway this is where the battle music kicks of. off that uh someone wrote for just this section nice and it was awesome but yeah sprout is uncharacteristically badass um you know, using whatever, like, summoned tendrils and vines. And, oh, yeah, yeah, Like, this, what was it? Professor Sprout's wand shot a dark brown that produced a surge of awful apprehension. I know, and, that, that, there's something, like, nasty about, like, brown magic bolts. I know. I know it was a very cool, very Dungeons & Dragons-y feeling, like, the little kind of duel between uh, Tonks and Sprout. It was, yeah, it was, it was action-packed. I dug it. It was cool. Oh, and this is where we finally get... Uh, Harry just murmurs to the empty air next to him, attack Sprout, help Bones, non-lethal only. And then you get, yes, mm-hmm. my lord, whispered Lysop yes, Strange. I know, he's I like, like, how... like he's like Junior Renfield. It's perfect. Like, he brings yes, along master. his little minion for this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> that explains why he didn't have his cloak either, because he gave it to Lysop. Um, um, so then, of course, uh, Harry's mirror is jammed because, you know... Reasons. obviously and, you know and like i guess there's probably a way to like jam them non-silent you know non without triggering alarms but like what kind of magical you know uh, communication system doesn't have like a every five seconds check-in ping to make sure this you know mm-hmm. the servers are live right like make sure the connection is <laughs> still good between this you know all the mirrors well, at least some of these pager duty should have gone off right i'm just thinking <laughs> that because i think when Quirrell's in the forest. He assumes that, like, it might have been because he jammed Draco's mirror and, like, accidentally set off an alarm or something. So, uh, you know, I guess yeah. you can you can turn it off, like, whatever, magically interrupt it without setting off alarms. But apparently you can do it without setting off alarms. I guess I just wonder, like, I, it just seems weak to me that you've got this this secret security communication system and if one goes offline, you know, it's like if you're in your, if you're, your dark lord and your evil lair and a camera goes out, you don't yeah, just assume camera. it's nothing, exactly. right? Exactly. But I guess this is the equivalent of like taping a picture of the empty room in front of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except yeah, with and with like magic tech, you could be a lot more convincing with that. Totally. You could have some like, you know, you could paste the portrait of one of the Hogwarts headmasters in front of the thing and have them like completely like distract everybody for you. It's perfect. There you go. 
So we do get, uh, and maybe we already got to this point, but I, I still wasn't clear. So uh, maybe we haven't got there. I got the things out of order in my head, but the the students that do show up, they sort of give their whole exposition about why they are worried. So we do get like the, I'm not sure if they actually, how much. So we figure out that we're clued in on the stuff from the original that like, okay, the mirror of Eris is down there and that's where the philosopher's stone is being hidden. Um, and then the students are all worried about, okay, and Dumbledore is trying to take it for himself. But the specific worry about that, I mean, I could see some, I wasn't, I'm not quite clear, like, what was their specific worry about Dumbledore getting it? Was Did that mean because they, that they were assuming actual malice on Dumbledore's part? Like, oh, he just wants it to, like, try to become super powerful and then he's, you know, become, you know, try to rule the world or blah, blah, blah. Like, I didn't, I'm not clear on what their specific concerns were with Dumbledore wants the stone. My reading at this point was that, like, if you're confused, that's because this is confusing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if their reasoning makes sense or they even have a coherent explanation. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I'm I guess sure like the back how, of my head was much... like, okay, you're wrong. But in what sense were you wrong? Like, how were you wrong? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I guess my I, own suspicion I is I that... I don't know they're wrong, but I'm going on the assumption they're wrong. And this isn't me leaning on future knowledge because I can't remember. But I th- my, my reading at this point is that I'm assuming, like, because Sprout showing up wasn't a coincidence... Yeah. Um, Harry showing up wasn't a coincidence. I'm assuming that all those students were sent here as well to make this extra confusing, and that yeah. you know there's some fuckery involved to make them believe that Dumbledore wanted the stone for. Oh, that's purposes. right. And we're about to know that um, Draco has been, is imperious right now too, and so that's probably how everybody else showed up because Draco. Well, no, we know that. So they all showed up here because Draco arranged that, and Draco only arranged that because he's imperious. But that's what they said. But I don't know if that makes sense because, like, if. You know, if I'm Tonks and I'm the only one who's not an 11-year-old idiot and Draco comes up to me and says, hey, you know, I've got a, a concern that Dumbledore is trying to steal the Philosopher's Stone. I'm going to sneak in there by myself in the castle away from the Aurors. Like, but wasn't it you, like Tonks was only there as that? like Tonks was only there to like chaperone, right? Like the plan was hatched and they were all going to do it. And then Tonks is like, oh, shit, this sounds like it's going to get real and they probably need a grown up in the room. So she went along. But like I got the impression like she wasn't involved in like the initial hatching of that scheme. Yeah, but I still feel like a real grown-up, once they became aware of it, would have called the police. I My impression yeah. is that everyone's acting too stupid for this to be their own volition. I think there's yeah. there's a, a whole uh, just web of mindfuckery running around. Yeah. Well, I guess Draco's it's, got it the stupid reason, and they yeah. stupidly go along with it. Well, yeah. Yeah, and I see your point. It doesn't seem quite... It does seem like a, I take your point, but I get, like the mitigating factors on that is, so Draco can be as ridiculously convinced as he wants because he's not actually convinced he's imperious. And so then it's Draco's ability to con just a few of the hoity-toity kids into playing along. And they seem like they're super excited just to be heroes anyway. So they're kind of like predisposed to believe bullshit. <laughs> and then like, yeah, cause talks would be like the hard sell on that. And then we sort of like established that like, she wasn't sold. Like she's just like, okay, what the fuck are these kids up to? I guess they should probably have a grown up in the room, which is interesting. Cause we totally do think of Tonks as being like the grown up, but she's technically just a senior, but she is, she is within the rules if they need a seventh year accompanying them or yeah, something. Yeah. But I still think that, it, you know, if I were Tonks and, like, this weird shit was happening, I'd be like, you know what? No, we're going to call in the big guns. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not – This is, we're not going to go goofing around. But mm-hmm. maybe I'm giving Tonks too much credit. Your your explanation makes as much sense as mine. So Yeah. I think we're somewhere in the middle. It is a bit of a stretch, but maybe not too much of a stretch. I Like, I imagine there's a lot of other fan fiction with Tonks in it, I imagine. She's a really cool I, character. Pr- 
probably, I mean, yeah. This she's, Tonks, she's not awesome. like, well, the actual Tonks was pretty cool too, but like this yeah. is the cool Tonks. I assume you're right. I, I'm also assuming that there's some not safe for work fan fiction involving Tonks because of the Steve Clark <laughs> well, like, powers. Well, yes. yes. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, at this point, I think that's, Harry... that, that, that algorithm, algorithm has already been brute force. Like <laughs> all, <laughs> all Harry Potter characters with genitals have slept with all other Harry Potter characters with genitals in some fan fiction somewhere. And no doubt some without. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, um, yes. Because magic, we, you know, you don't yeah. have to start with genitals in order to happen. <laughs> all right. Um, at this point, Harry remembers the line in his note to himself that says, beware the constellation. There was a constellation mm-hmm. named Draco. And actually, I think it's a star. I think that, that, that might be wrong there. but uh, No, Draco's a constellation because it's a little dragon. It doesn't look oh, nice. much like a dragon. It looks like that a little works. thing. It looks like a line with a circle at the end of it. Perfect. And by, by circle, I mean some kind of polygon. Right. And he, then he says, if you can control a professor, you can control a student. And that's where he tries to warn Susan to duck, and then he's too late, so he jumps around. Mass shoots everyone in the or mass shoots the room to try and hit the empty hit the invisible Draco, and then gets him and then then double taps him because he's seen horror movies, <laughs> and he lost the fight with the Sunshine Regiment in the first battle. Mm-hmm. So at this point he's too worn out to do anything smart like call Dumbledore. Um, it occurs to him at this point he should have called Dumbledore with the Patronus, but he doesn't have enough magic left, which is just yeah. uh, radically inconvenient. Um. <laughs> conveniently inconvenient so yeah we're, so all the all the bodies on the floor now so tonks and sprout were kind of at a stalemate or at least neither had taken each other out and then snape takes out tonks right no tonks then, took out snape fairly early on um took she, out snape yeah so he oh, dodges my notes and then wrong. and then she hits like his wand arm and he drops his wand and then she knocks him out and then tonks mm. is fighting sprout for a while and then Lasoth tries to help and uh, gets eventually hit by like an AOE spell. And then I think Tonks takes out Sprout. Um, and then then Draco takes out Tonks. Yeah, see, the whole thing, this whole thing feels ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, like, that's a, on purpose. it's like a Quentin Tarantino scene. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like the end of so 8 8. With, with less motherfucker in the dialogue. but Yeah, only because they're children. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, my... my... My notes were weird. Yeah, so Sprout takes out Snape. Tonks, hair, da da da. And then Tonks does take out Sprout, that's right. Oh, yeah, you um, got it. And then yeah, Draco yeah. is Midas fuckest into taking Midas out fuckest. Tonks. Harry yeah. takes out Draco. And then the next note you have <laughs> leg bones connect to the hip bone. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, okay, yeah. So basically, all the bodies are on the ground. Yeah, and then that's what you said. Like, Harry just walks around, like, you know. Uh, running a spear through the chest of the dead in the battlefield. Um, yeah, and this is like, this is this progression of Quirrell getting like decreasingly convincing. I think maybe because he's like, he, he sees himself as being on like the two yard line. This is played um, up hilariously well in the audiobook too. Yeah, so I, I can't even remember the actual, the, the notes I took was uh, was Quirrell like, I'll, <coughs> hey, help me, Harry One Kenobi, you're my only hope. Um, because he like gets, it's sort of like, less cruel because there's a little bit got uh, like a hinge of desperation to it because he's maybe thinking like okay I just got to convince him of this one last thing and then I get through this door however I guess it's not even really established why, like why the great and powerful Coral couldn't just get through a door um, but yeah he's like more of a hard sell trying to get Harry to you know help him you know get into the secret room yeah. uh, and this and that's basically when Harry's like oh, okay fuck this 
and like Harry comes to his senses. And then we we have like a, this is the point where we have this sort of very rapid like montage scene in, in Harry's head where he you know figures out you know the laundry list of shit it should have occurred to him sooner. I was surprised when I actually read it how explicit it was it was almost like Yudkowsky just decided okay we're just gonna like put all the cards on the table now so that because like, if I reveal a little bit of this like you're gonna basically figure the rest of it is on so he just decided to like lay it all out like is it, it I guess because it, it wasn't necessarily the case that Harry was gonna figure out right now so he could figure out okay this is Voldemort and all of the stuff that was suspicious but he also he goes for extra credit um, Harry also figures out that we are the same person, which was like, you know, an even larger thing. I that out. out. Did it? Well, no. Well, at least he goes through, because oh, he, he does yeah, go through right. the like, oh, we are both very good in the same ways. We think in the same ways. He does like keep also noticing all the similarities between him and Quirrell, which isn't necessary at all to jump to, oh, and therefore Quirrell is Voldemort. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're totally right. I, I forgot about that because he has the line about how like Quirrell was smart and much the same way that Harry was. Quirrell was mm-hmm. smart in exactly the same way as Harry's mysterious dark side. Yeah. And if you had to guess when the boy who lived got the mysterious dark side, the obvious guess would be Halloween on whatever his first, yeah. when he was one years old or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's what I was saying, uh, what was about 30 minutes ago to our listeners, and five days ago to you and me, um, <laughs> that Harry is, what was I trying to say? Um, I lost my train of thought. Um that oh yeah because what I, so what I, this works well just as far as the storytelling or like it avoids a problem like if we had if you were just going to try to go with you know being very plot lawyer about what would Harry know at this point it does seem a little bit like a very large extra jump for him to conclude not only is he Voldemort but so am I um, but I think yeah, just as right. far as storytelling if the, you're going to because there's been so many hints being dropped you know just little. Uh, conspicuous turns of phrase and everything that have been trying to sell this the whole time, not sell it, but like dropping these, these, you know, fun little hints the whole time that if he's gonna, if we're going to, at this point in the story, reveal that Quirrell is Voldemort, but not reveal that. So is Harry, like they get, it just gets weird. So I think you kind of like, once you're going to like, you know, tear the mask off the bad guy, you kind of have to tear it all off at the same time. So. Yeah. I heard you saying, um, this was the, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, as they're leading up to that moment, that's where Quirrell is sitting there laying on the ground, and he's like, Harry, please, it's the one thing that can save my life. And I find now, <coughs> suddenly, out of nowhere, I don't want to die. Please help me. And, and also, I've always loved you, like a son. <laughs> and some, and somehow that tore it. Somehow and that I was want a to join the Peace Corps. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I like this, too. He says, uh, um, an instinct born of past disaster was telling Harry that if he just rushed ahead, he would end he would end up having a sad conversation, realizing he'd been stupid again. So he's like, okay, hold on. This time, let me think before I just rush into it. Give me just one mm-hmm. minute to think. And this is where Quirrell's just like, Harry, I'm dying. Hurry. <laughs> and so that Harry I like it was like, like Harry like desperately needs this moment to like stall and try to figure out what he wants to do. But it's at least like very it's on brand for Harry to be like, no, shut the fuck up. And I'm going to sit here and get like gaze at my navel and be all brainy for a minute. 
Yeah, at least like, that's a very easy sell. Yeah, like, yeah. He 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 ran headfirst into the Belichick's black thing, and that was probably a mistake. And he's just like, you know what? I'm actually gonna think about this for a fucking minute beforehand. Mm-hmm. And when Kroll's like, you know, Harry, I'm dying. He says, one more minute can't make the difference. He's had the whole year to be sick. <laughs> like, it's that's kind of my argument about sentient grass. Depend on this. <laughs> Hundred million years, but that. fuck off. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, right. just. So then he's, Harry says, all right, I'll think quickly. And this is the part where I really like where um, basically this whole thing, there's like, I don't know, a couple of paragraphs of periods on them, but it's more or less just one run-on thought. Yeah. Because he kind of sets himself up. He's like, all right, just rush to the next thought. Don't stop and get distracted. Um, like just the try and free associate your way to what the fuck is going on here. Mm-hmm. So don't don't be stopped by stumbling blocks. And... Uh, He's, so, you know, he's going through all this, like, okay, well, there's something, you know, weird with the time loop, you know, that could have coordinated however it wound up here, but that doesn't make me really feel less confused about, like, what Quirrell was doing here, unless he was also in the time loop, you know, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And this was uh, the moment when it says, Harry's mind finally threw up the relevant memory. Dumbledore saying that Lord Voldemort's strongest road to life was hidden inside Hogwarts. And then, like, in, italis- in italics, it's kind of like his... I don't know, subroutine thoughts of just mm-hmm. like, okay, well, there's the idea, and then it's run with the hypothesis. So that the resurrection tool was the philosopher's stone and hidden inside the mirror. Why had Dumbledore put the mirror into a corridor first years could get through? No, ignore this question. It's not important right now. And Professor Quirrell said the philosopher's stone possessed great healing power, so that was all, so that part also fit. And uh, I like this too. Um, but if the philosopher's stone was hidden in the mirror to keep it away from the Dark Lord, that meant the mirror also contained the one thing in the world that could save the, the defense professor's life. Harry's mind tried to hesitate, to flinch away, the sudden apprehension as to where this was going. And this is the part yeah, where... Yeah, I'm super curious, like, after, so we've been left, or I, I've been left on this total cliffhanger here. I'm super curious to see how this goes. Now that, because Harry's, like, totally inappropriate, like, battered wife syndrome of just, you know, being super protective of Quirrell, um, the expense of both, like, you know, logic and, like, mental health. That how now that he knows, okay, this dude is actually Voldemort, is he still going to hang on to this just totally inappropriate, like, like protectiveness of like, oh, we must save daddy. Um, so I, I guess we'll have to see. I guess we'll have to see. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, I, didn't say, I didn't, you know, and say that in quite, you know, daddy sounded too wholesome. I meant that in a very like sexual, like, you know, pimp way. Of, of course. Just, just so, you know, I don't want that to be lost on our listeners. It goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> They, they all know your brand by now. Yeah. <laughs> My brand. That's good to know. Basically, so he's, he's thinking, okay, well, this way too much coincidence and just too much improbability. Um, you know, your mind couldn't write this off as an amazing... It, it's, it's too improbable if your mind didn't write it off as an amazing plot twist. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's saying, okay, well, maybe the mastermind here coordinated for everyone here to end up in the same spot. And I guess that makes sense. But then, uh, you know, why would Professor Quirrell wait until, like you know, right before he was going to die to come try and get this stone and why it's sprouting at the same time. And um, this is when he realizes that the note he sent to himself seemed kind mm-hmm. of not it's what like, he would have uh, said. It's like 80% of a Harry. And this is also the kind of thing where he does this on his first day of school when he gets, when he gets his first time, ter- when he gets the time turner first and is mm-hmm. fucking with himself. Yeah. He has a passphrase to himself. Like, oh, yeah. I, wouldn't you make that a thing for every time uh, message you send to yourself? Unless you'd have to like reset it every time. It's yeah, like, but like a one-time message. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, you can't you can't use the same one every time. You gotta like, yeah. change it. But then you establish so, yourself. What's the next password? Although time turnerishness could mess that up. You keep resetting it and then forgetting that like, oh wait, this is out of order. 
I'm just like I'm actually like, two passwords ahead right now. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how many times he's had to send messages back to himself, but I'm just thinking like, you know, once you get one, then you change the password until the next time you get a note from your from your future, and then the first thing you do is think of a new password. Yeah, what was and it was something? What was the password that he had for himself? Uh, something something. I am a potato. Potato. Was, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It was something weird. Yeah. But I'm just thinking, you know, having a, having a passphrase or a password for time travel notes to to yourself from yourself would be. Uh, just sounds like good mm-hmm. security to me, but mm-hmm. way to drop the ball, Harry. Nice. So I was, um, as in thinking of like how, like this little montage that Harry is going through in his head, what struck, I don't know, struck me strange. Just maybe I don't know how to file this in my understanding of rationality and Harry's and Harry's understanding of his rationality, because it's a, part of what he was saying as he's like trying to, he's almost like trying to force himself to suddenly act very logical, but also what he seemed to be saying, which seemed a little, I don't know if in conflict, but different was like, maybe a misunderstanding, but that he's sort of like basically telling himself, go with your instinct on this. Cause that's going to be a way to sort of like, that's like the turbo version of, of sorting this out is letting your instinct fill in the gaps for the bits of information you don't have. And that like, it made sense for me, from, from that point, it totally makes sense, but it also stuck out as being sort of incompatible with the rationality way of doing that, but then maybe not. So that's, I was curious, like what your thoughts on that were. No, that's, that's a good question. I think um, like part of it is that he's operating here with limited time, right? So he doesn't have mm-hmm. the, the half hour that might be necessary to go off and think about this properly. So in the two minutes he's taking to do all of this, he's, just kind of leaning back on the heuristics he's built up, like the, the proper thought patterns and tools to use to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And where he says, like, um, you know, no, just go with that thought, like kind of running with his intuition. I think part of it is there's a there's an explicit technique. Um, I think it's the post is called Flinch into the Darkness, which is if you're thinking a thought that's scary to think, um, that's a good sign that you should spend some time actually thinking about it and not like try to ignore that scary thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like when he's kind of the, the, the thought that, okay, maybe Quirrell is behind really, really behind this is creeping up on him. Um, like the, the natural intuition would be to flinch away from the scary thought. Cause you no, know, who wants to believe that? Right. Um, who wants to believe that somebody that you care about is this, you know, yeah. psycho murderer. So instead he leans back on the heuristic of no, no flinch into the scary thought. Let's analyze it. Let's not, let's not dodge the, 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 this like, so he gets this sense of fear about it. And he's like, Nope, that's actually rather than run the baseline intuition of run away from this, run away from the fear, look right at it, try and try and, ter- you know, examine this. So I think that's the intuition part that he's running yeah. into here. Did it seem, um, yeah. And I hear that. And then, and yeah, I can remember him saying stuff similar to that too but i guess i'm more thinking it seemed to me like he was also telling himself uh because you don't have enough information to go on for this that he was kind of explicitly saying that go ahead and run with your gut to fill in the blanks on the parts you don't know rather than i guess i could think that like some other sort of rationalist way of doing that would be like you know stick with some like dry logical you know you know, stick that into your, your Drake equation on, on how to decide what the possible outcomes are and just assign a very low probability to the bits you don't know. Well, like some part where you could like stay in your Vulcan head, but it seemed like he was just telling himself like, okay, not enough time. Just go with your gut for the parts you don't know, which I totally get like, that seems solid to me, but it also doesn't, it's a, that seemed different. That seems sort of not rationalist. I think in the in the ideal situation, you would sit there with a pen and paper and write out yeah. Bayes equations for all of your guesses. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then plug and chug and get your numbers and yeah. then do whatever. In this situation, you just have the, I mean, this, this is where it's kind of like, um, you know, like, and th this is true of any like thinking tool. It, it, it's sort of akin to martial arts, right? Where like in an ideal circumstance, if you're planning out how you're going to engage in an, engage a combatant in a martial arts sparring contest or something, you will think ahead, kind of like in the um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock movies, and he's like, he'll he'll do like that pause oh, yeah. thing, and he'll plan ahead the fight. He's got like his own bullet time in his head. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if you if you it's have the time movie. to do it perfectly, you'll do it that way. But if you don't, you lean back on all your training as a martial artist and just improvise as you go along. And if your if your gut says, "Yep, time to dodge," um, like just do it, even if you're not 100 yeah. percent sure why. Maybe it's also kind of like speed chess. You know, where I guess, oh, that's a good way to think about speech, it. Yeah. Speech has probably a better analogy. Yeah. Uh, that seems a little different. I mean, yeah, so I hear your point with that. Um, and, like, yeah, thinking about it as sort of, like, training or almost muscle memory is uh, seems consistent. But to me, it and may, maybe I'm reading this differently than, than you or other people would, but because it seemed to me that kind of what he was saying was, so not not so much like, oh, go with, you know, Heuristics even sounds a little, heuristics makes it sound more sciencey than than my read of what Harry was was saying was that it was like we're going to go ahead and I'm just going to make irrational gut level judgments about what I think facts are and then base further more logically based decisions on just the arbitrary assumption that my gut read of a different thing was correct which like none of that seems insane that seems like a totally you know, valid way to approach how to deal with shit. But it also seems like different than, than mine. That wouldn't have been how I would have thought Harry would have decided to, to run with that. And so I wasn't sure if maybe I'm misunderstanding what he was saying. I don't know. Was, was that, I mean, do you, do you see that as the same thing where he's sort of like explicitly making it okay with himself to just completely make a like zero evidence gut check on, yeah. Now I can't remember the specifics of what he was looking at, but like mixing the gut check with the logical. Yeah, no, I think I think that is what he's doing. And I think that like like I said, in the um in in the circumstance of like a heavy time constraint, that's really the best you can do. Yeah. Um I, that, I think the speed chess one fits there better. So like, you know, if you're if you're sitting down to you know, if you're if you're two chess masters, and Harry's hardly a, a chess master in this analogy, but he's a you know, uh uh, adept chess player or something better right? than me uh, right better than better than me too but the uh like the the i think you'll sit down you'll look at the board and you can't sit there and walk through all the possibilities you can think of because there's just not time so mm. instead you say you just you've got this feeling no nope, i should do this because i got two seconds to make this move and more often than not that's like the best you can yeah. do given the time constraint so i think that's what he's doing here is just so it's 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 uh I, I get what you're saying that like running with your intuitions and just kind of like, all right, gut check. Yep. Run with that. Check this, whatever. Like that's not how you would do it under optimal circumstances. But when you've got two minutes to solve a really complicated con convoluted thing, um, that seems to be the best that so you just, can do. Right? I'll just do that when I'm being lazy at my job with some sort of like software design, something I'll be like arguing with somebody less, you know, with fewer years under their belt than me. I believe Fuck, I mean, like, I know I'm right about, like, you do not, you know, parse raw text with yourself when there's a parser's library that will do that for you. And then the <laughs> argument, well, but why? In just this one situation, I'm like, are you going to make me, like, 
fucking go to all the work of like walking you through this again because I've made this mistake five times already and I've forgotten why I don't do it that way anymore. I just know not to do it that way anymore. But okay, fucking fine. I don't know. Let me try to remember. Yeah. And so like I know there's a logical the, argument to back this up, but I like forgot it a long time ago because it's just stopped never being true. <laughs> and then because torturing analogy is one of my favorite things. So imagine... You know, you were tasked with doing this and you'd be fired at the end of the day if you didn't get it done. You're not going to sit there and try and, you know, build up from scratch why you thought this was a bad idea. You're going to just rush to get this thing done, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're going to go with all your intuitions. You're going to and do I guess that like was it because the like, yeah. you can. Because there's not enough room in our brain to like store all of the logical reasons that we arrive at anything. It's just like, okay, you know what? That's been true so many times in a row that I've like, I've just flushed from cash my ability to prove to myself why. Yeah, because our but, stupid brains are made out of meat and we can't store mm-hmm. all the relevant facts. So, Stephen, don't ever parse a markup language by manual code. That's yeah, my advice we, to you. That's always something that I, I seem to notice, like with, I mean, not often, but like, in this, you know, any, any uh, aspiring programmers, don't try and reinvent the wheel. If there's something you're trying to do that seems confusing, Google how to do it, and somebody's mm-hmm. probably got a library for it, or at least a shortcut. That is sort of like the grumpy old man level of humility. Be like, you know what? Smarter people figured this out already. And I just like, and your urge to do it yourself is just because you're too lazy to go figure out how somebody else did it. So. And and there's a really good chance too that you know you'll think of a of a unique way to do it or something and a way to improve on it. And if you've got time, go for it. But you know, it's just why would you, uh, whatever. Like, I mean, my I was talking with somebody about um, like password storage and management, and I'm like, never write your own password stuff. Oh yeah. Y- y- yes, you could. Somebody you know somebody wrote a great so- uh, uh, pack- password package, but. Why would you spend yeah. weeks or months all, being you all know, of, building all the of the great thing? inventions have already been invented in that space? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So where were we? Uh, Harry sitting there. Now that we bored eighty percent of our listeners. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> oh yeah. So Harry's uh, you know parsing his message to himself and realizing that there's some incongruities. And then I love this too. He's like, this is exactly how I would get you know if I was trying to get a target who was fully on guard to bypass all the security measures they had set yeah. up. This is how I would have done it. Get them to work against themselves. Yeah, faking a time-turned message was, was just the sort of creative method Harry himself might have tried to bypass all of a target's protections. And that's when Harry realized what should have been obvious from the very, very beginning. So this is kind of that, you know, self-kick in the face that you were looking yeah. for. Um, I guess you know what it was now that you're reading that again. It's that word obvious is such like a trigger, like smarmy quarrel word you've used the word obvious five times in saying that this should have been obvious to everybody well no no, see that's it no but i was i i'm yeah that was kind of consciously i'm sort of like repeating harry's vibe about the thing because yeah and not that i'm not obvious or not that that quarrel was a bad guy this is what this is uh okay guilty like okay yeah okay no let me take okay i'm full of shit i want to take that back it's like you know there's the kind of like admitting to something just so you can like pretend to be the kind of guy that will admit to something Totally. Like, no, I'm full of shit. Yeah. Harry just pushes my buttons, you know? Um, yeah, but, but that jealous. is... Good. I'm just jealous. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, <'cause>, yeah <laughs> because my fundamental neurosis throughout this whole thing is I'm just worried that I'm not smart enough. Right. Um, it's been clear. Yeah, it's been, yeah. Um, and he says, And Professor Quirrell done a password that Belichick's Black thought identified the Dark Lord, and his presence gave the boy who lived a sense of doom, and his magic interacted destructively with Harry's, and his favorite spell was Avada Kedavra, and 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 and, 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 Yeah, I guess, like, the part the part that I'm missing, so it's not so much like, oh, I wish Harry wasn't being, you know, such a comic book guy, you know, arrogant dick, 
I mean, not that he's not bad at that, but um, but no, because I, I still really want this thing about, I want there to be this extra, like, sinister mindfuckery power that Voldemort has to just make people believe stupid shit. And so that's why I really would like it to be like Harry sort of realizing that, oh, there's something almost unnatural to how gullible I've been, especially for, like, how, you know, capital S smart I am. I shouldn't have fallen for all this shit. And so he does. There is this very much of, like, Harry yeah, I, it could be that. walking wonder, through like, every inconsistency uh, that he fell for. But I wish, I just still want it to be some sort of like wow how does this guy have this power over me vibe to it if you were overcoming some sort of like subtle mind whammy this might be what it felt like to do it right yeah i guess so yeah yeah but it's all you know what it is it's like he's kind of blaming himself and like sort of like over allocating how obvious these things should have been like wait it seems to other people there's the like something should have been up but so much of like you know my benefit of being able to figure this out is all of the stuff that you know you only get to know because the omniscient narrator is telling me like Harry didn't get to see all of the, you know, specific choices of phrase that kept making it sound like, you know, uh, Quirrell and Harry are the same soul. Um, even though sometimes those were his words, but they're his words. Like for us, like we as readers get the benefit of all those hints that the characters themselves don't. Um, but there's still all those just like the things going on factually that should have like maybe it's so maybe not enough for people to like figure out the entire thing until the end. But there's so much more like people should have just been like, what the fuck is this uh, when they weren't? But, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we'll see if any of that's explored throughout the rest yeah. of it. But um, it would just be like cool. I, I, like I wanted to be that because it, it's just it adds this like extra cool layer of sinister. That, yeah. Oh, totally. There was a great villain in uh, Ward, the sequel to Worm. And her power is basically, I think she also has like a, a spidey sense of danger or something, but her main power is like just making a, um, like an alignment shift in whoever she wants when, you know, I think she has to make eye contact with them or something or be near mm-hmm. them or whatever. And when you, when your alignment is shifted, you, you notice and you don't care. Like when they, so like the, the heroes all get mind whammied by this person and then they're back at headquarters and they're like, oh yeah, I guess she got us, but it's not nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Um, like, it's it's just, it just seems natural to say, oh, you know what? No, she wouldn't want us to do this. We should do it this way instead. And, mm-hmm. like, it's 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 very And they're sinister. even aware that that's what's going on and they just don't care. Exactly. And it, it's, it's, uh, it has exactly that sort of just, like, creepy under-the-skin vibe mm-hmm. that you want. And, it, it like, it'd be one thing to say, like, you know, to have them be uh, unbeknown or whatever, unbeknownst to them, they're, they're uh, whatever, uh, bamboozled. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, we should do this. And, it, and I'm not sure why I'm doing this or whatever. But, like, they're like, no, no, we got to help her out. Of course. Like, and, like, that, that's just one of my values now. Um, it, <laughs> makes it, it makes it extra sinister. Uh, I can say, you know, I get, so uh, this little anecdote may, may make no sense at the end. But, like, I, like, as a teenager, I went through this, this thing. Anyway, I had this sort of, like, very, like, life-altering experience, which ends up sounding very strange to people that know me well, that this thing convinced me of sort of like the fundamental goodness of people, which most of the time the shit that comes out of my mouth doesn't sound like I'm a person that thinks that. Um, But, and then also acknowledging the way I got there was pretty much through brainwashing techniques. And being fully aware of that, I'm still totally cool with it. Um, And still it's like this almost like super valuable experience in my life. If you want to go into details, I'm really curious. It was this, I was, I, it just may not make any sense or, or sound very uh, interesting at the end. But, you know, it was this, um, it was this thing. So my, my mother did, you know, child behavioral 
well-being stuff. My mother's a therapist. And she did stuff for the Red Cross um, around because we grew up in California around earthquake preparedness. Basically, like how do you help children deal with like the trauma of you know a natural disaster? And anyway, she did that through the Red Cross. So she did a lot of volunteer work for years and years through the Red Cross. Um, and so through that, she, she there was this this thing it was basically sort of like you know future leaders of America, blah blah, but a little less politically important but it was i can't remember it was called like a leader leadership was in the word but it was basically this like one week camp of just taking a bunch of high school kids um and like so external like the way the thing sort of advertises itself it was sort of like just sort of instilling good values into kids but they called it like leadership, you know training children to be the leaders of tomorrow which sounds like totally like the kind of thing that you send some like you know, some senator sends their kids to that just to hang out with the other senator's kids. But it wasn't quite that because, like, we weren't all that important. Um, or shit, maybe they weren't. Just I was hanging out with the important people. But then that whole week, like, you don't feel... So it's like, week-long camp in, like, the mountains of California. Um, and that whole week that we're there, we don't get any of that kind of speech about anything we're doing. We have, like, no idea what the hell is going on. Because we're being kept basically a little bit sleep deprived, constantly on the go with given no time to like calm down and figure out what's going on, not given any chairs to sit in so that we're like having this like sit cross-legged on like a hard concrete floor. So we're kept like super uncomfortable. There was probably stuff with our diet that I'm not <laughs> like, that's the other like classic brainwashy thing is you keep people like protein deprived. Um, so it was like after the fact you could tell like, oh, these were like basically brainwashing techniques that they were using on us. But like what they were trying to brainwash us into thinking was people are good. And if you want to lead people, you just need to find out what is the good in those people and figure out how to use it, not use it like in a bad way, but like there is a good thing in everybody that is potentially helpful and leading people is just a way to figure out the various different ways in, in which anybody in that team can be valuable. And that, like, basically, but, like, under, like that was sort of, like, at the end, you realize that was there. The whole time, it's just, they're basically just trying to take, you know, 50 random kids, confuse the shit out of them, stick them into stressful situations, and have them all like each other when it's over. And, like, that was sort of, like, the core lesson was, look at all these random assholes you ran into, and now you're all able to see, like, the fundamental goodness at the center of all of you. And, like, oh, and just hang on to that thought, and if you can remember that one... Then all this shit about like, you know, how do you utilize the goodness in every other person? You'll figure that shit out later as long as you can sort of hang on to that core central experience of people are good. Like we're just like we're all basically just trying to be happy. And that in that effort to be happy is just to try to make other people happy, too. And then it's not in general some sort of like exploitive, just, you know, take advantage of other people thing. It's just people want to be nice to each other and have other people be nice to them. And if you can like store that away as kind of just a kind of core experience that you don't need to be convinced of, that you just believe because you experienced it directly. Um, all the other shit about like how to get along well in other groups of people and lead them just kind of falls into place after that. And so all that, so that was a super powerful experience. It was just great. And so it, so it still affects me 30 years later. Um, but the, I think that's awesome. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was super cool. It's very, it was, it was a big deal. Um, but that even being aware because then all, all this stuff you're talking about like the superpower to like shift their alignment like even being super aware like the way they 
planted that experience in my head was, and I think like after the fact looking at it, nobody ever said that at the time. It was like, oh, they did this very consciously. Maybe not in their heads. They didn't use the word brainwashing, but they were intentionally getting us all rattled and thrown off our guard in order to then like, you know, rip open our brains to expose everything so that they could implant this very benevolent thought in the center and have it stick. And so even being totally aware, so it would be very easy for me to cynically just dismiss it all as, oh, you know, we were brainwashing to believe in whatever the fuck they wanted and none of it's actually true. Um, but I don't. And maybe I only don't because it worked. And so maybe it's not true, but you know what? That's not a thought that I really feel like abandoning anyway. It's good. I, I like being the person who thinks that. I can imagine that it's it's definitely possible to unethically implant a true and valuable belief in someone's head, right? And so, I think that's pretty much kind of what they did and, and yeah. how easily they could have implanted. I, and also kind of like that, again, that logical side of me realizing they probably in that state could have done anything to us at that point. They then chose to say, okay, how do we make good people? How do we brainwash people into being nice people? They could have done anything. They could have been like, and then this is how you're going to vote for, you know, tax cuts for the rest of your life, which is probably how like the senator's child version of that, <laughs> that camp goes. But. but this is the kind of thing where upon sober reflection, you know, when you've actually had a good night's sleep and a decent meal, it still stood up to like, you know what? That actually does make sense. Yeah, I guess, awesome. I guess, yeah. And that is kind of thing. Like you just like... Yeah, and I think I said that, like, uh, yeah, in a retro with Ineos, was sort of like, yes, you should be, like, constantly re-questioning those things. But I even, like, as I, like, and I do a lot, I think even being, because I'm, like, so aware of how brainwashy it was, I do, like, go back to it a lot and be like, you know, I guess it always does come up as suspect, but... But I think even to the extent like when I do keep it, it's not even so much for like a logical reason that like, okay, yes, that's true. And so I will continue to believe it. It is. And I think I've said stuff similar to this before. It's like, even if I'm wrong, like which way would I like to be wrong? Do I want to be wrong? Like the kind of person who thinks good things about humanity? Or do I want to be right and think that, you know, everybody's a piece of shit? I mean, instrumentally, it might be better for you to believe to know to believe what's actually true. Because if everyone did suck, then you'd interact with, interact with them in a different way. To like, yeah. you know, if you're if you're way if you're like I don't know trying to galvanize your your society into doing something for the betterment of you know the great society at large or something. Um, if you believe that they're all good, you would appeal to their inner goodness and say, "Look, can't you see how this is a great idea?" If you believe they're all bad, you would you know go through yeah. more quirly techniques, right? Yeah. Um, but I love that. I think that's that's a that's really cool, and it's one of those things like the closest two analogs I can think of is I had a really shit job for like six months, and you know I my my primary coworkers weren't people I really would get along with at all outside of mm-hmm. like work and in real life we never stayed in touch. But at work, there's something about like sharing the trenches with them. Like you know their job sucks too. Yeah. And, like you're so like that's that's kind of like with you and these fellow campers like yeah this all sucks and so together we can get through this. Yeah. Um, and also yeah and just that like if you ever get to know any actual human that's not like some abstraction you're you know tossing around in your head actual people are generally pretty cool. Yeah. It's only and, and, people and, in the abstract that suck because they don't actually people, exist. I agree. Even people you disagree with, even people that you you know can't get along with for, you know, what are good or bad reasons. There's at the very least, there's a core of commonality, right? Yeah. Like, I think I've mentioned this on my other podcast before, but like I had a coworker. Um, oh wait, first I was going to mention that the other circumstance that's similar to brainwashing that I've been through, which is kind of from the other angle, is under the influence of psychoactive drugs. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not the kind of person, you know, who took you know two tabs of LSD and then decided I was going to go be a hippie and you know do whatever. Stay in school, kids. I <laughs> stay in school, kids. Um, I have that, uh, like. 
realizations while in a different state of consciousness, which is kind of what you achieve through, you know, sleep depriving and starving somebody, mm-hmm. um, that upon sober reflection, I found valuable and worth keeping around. Like they, they weren't facts about like, you know, the, I, I knew somebody who took DMT and then suddenly became a, a deist. Um, like, so it, it was, it was nothing quite that, that, uh, profound against like the nature of reality. It was just kind of like dealing with people. And like, yeah. I had this coworker at my last job and we didn't get along. Um, I mean, we, we, well, let me rephrase that. I'm very amicable. I get along with everybody I work with, even people that suck. Uh, this You're guy didn't quite asshole. suck. He was just, uh, I'm kind of an <laughs> asshole. Well, totally. I'm kidding. Fair enough. Um, well, at the very least, I, didn't, I don't act like an asshole to the people that I don't, I don't get along with. So, uh, but there was there was this moment where, like, because he and I differed on a ton of stuff, and I was like, yeah, this isn't the kind of guy I'd ever, you know, invite out for a beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, his he had two cats, and like one of them died, and it was tragic. And he knew that I had had a tragic cat death a couple years before that, and he texted me like when it happened, and you know. The next week when we were back at work, um, we would go out, I'd hang out with him on his epic smoke breaks, and we would talk about it, and we would, uh, you know, we, we didn't, like, bond over it exactly, but what it was, I had this kind of realization, I was like, you know what, everything else aside about this guy, he's just a guy who loves his pet, and I, yeah. I can 100% identify with that. You know, he could have yeah. been, and, uh, you know, he wasn't, like, a bad person or a monster, but um, it, even if he was, you know, if he was some asshole, like, you know, if he was a, a chapter one Draco Malfoy white supremacist whatever, like and and he was texting me about you know his his uh, his sad circumstance with his pet, like I could still identify with that bit of human in him, right? Yeah. Um, this gets us pretty far afield from rationality, <laughs> other than it was fun to talk about. The but, fun part. Um, yeah, I was like, I'm, yeah, my last little thing, and then we can drop it. Like my first yeah, yeah. programming job, like 1998, because I'm old as fuck. Um, Brian, 61. Did you guys know that? 61 years old. I mean, I look good for my age, really. Um, was It was like super... So there was... My boss was another programmer, but the other two guys that I worked with were just like IT guys. Um, but then, but it turns out like the other IT... The, I, probably just because he was my own age um, that I worked most closely with uh, was a creationist. And actually then it turned out I found out with... So there were four of us in that office and I was the only one that was not a creationist. <laughs> um, but that was good. like, yeah, you have to like reconcile later. If you're going to try to like turn all these people into an abstraction that you're going to make fun of and, or hate or whatever, uh, you have to like reconcile it with like, let me name real names. So my boss name was Dave Smith and Steve Pressler. And then the other guy was Jim Paul. Jim Paul was kind of an asshole and a creationist. And I think a promise keeper is that a, that's a thing. I think they're mostly douchebags, but Dave Smith, creationist, Steve Pressler, creationist, cool people dig the shit out of them. So, and me and Steve would get in these arguments about like how the fuck did Pumas get on Noah's Ark because they were all the way over in South America. Um, but he was just like, and he was way cooler, like much better reflection on his personality than on mine. He was thoroughly content and like totally good humored about arguing about this shit with me. And I probably couldn't have been the same. Well, I guess he was doing it back to me, so I don't know. We both had a really good time. I feel like like we became like really good friends. We since drifted apart. He's still, still back in San Diego, but... Um, but yeah, you have to like later, like if you're going to try to, you know, ridicule mock creationists, you have to, and so yeah, like on the specifics, I'm, I'm pretty solid that the earth is more than 6,000 years old and that it's really silly to, to think otherwise, but like trying to 
expand that into and therefore these people are gullible and stupid you're like no steve is not steve's like and a really good person um and so you have to like so then like the more like actual interactions you have with real people it then becomes you know like that's an important way to sort of like guard yourself against those really like lame generalizations and just sort of like that urge to just sort of like you know mock people not like you um, yeah, and it's like I, I had a one of my closest friends growing up, and he was a groomsman, groomsman at my wedding. Um, like we, I, I don't have very strong political convictions, but I, I do think some political uh, approaches are bad and stupid, or at least wrong and stupid. Um, but like he and I would have these awesome good faith arguments and uh, discussions. Argument sounds uh, confrontational. These were just uh, like you know we'd sit there have a drink or two. And just talk about whatever thing, you know, for a couple of hours, once every month or so when we live together. And it was awesome. Like, those are some of those valuable conversations I've had with people. Yeah. And, like, it's, uh, I, you know, it, again, your, your creationist friend and my, my uh, politically non-savvy friend were, and he's more savvy than, he's more researched than I am. I just think he's wrong about stuff, which is <laughs> me being pretentious. But, um, like, you know, they're not, uh, they're not bad people in the sense that like oh yeah i also believe that black people aren't human or something right mm -hmm. if they were that bad then it's kind of harder to write off like oh yeah well they're, pr they're pretty cool except for their, th their, their thing about race or something right <laughs> um but it's it's i don't know in, in general this is we're just filling air time for you guys yeah, you know seriously. if everyone's having fun but in general yeah, people yeah, are people and you can find commonality with them and you know of, like all in we're still only like two hours into this recording we are I know, super right? slacking speaking of finding commonality with people so it works out that it turns out Harry and Quirrell have a lot in common, <laughs> as possibly being the same person. In, in that they are the same person. So we don't quite get any explanation as to what's going on there. So Harry finally <clears throat> comes down on the realization that, like, oh, fuck me. Quirrell is somehow, what the fuck, Lord Voldemort. I know, I know. And, so, and he, so am I. Well, so he, yeah, he, yeah. he thinks that there's something going on there. I don't know if he, he didn't fully verbalize it, but yeah. Yeah, he didn't fully verbalize that yet, but there's, he knows that there's something going on there. And because we know from uh, the interlude with Quirrell, like really briefly when Harry was fighting the troll, that Quirrell doesn't just get a sense of doom from Harry, but he can sense his emotions. Mm -hmm. I think that's how he knew that Harry figured this out. Yeah. And that's oh, why yeah. when he, so when Harry turns around and he's like, all right, uh, let's go get the Philosopher's Stone. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. So he, do you think there's you no think... silence from behind him? Do you think that? Quirrell, yeah, like a uh, Quirrell is sort of like standing awkwardly behind him. But do you, so it sounds like like Quirrell can read Harry better than Harry can read Quirrell, but that 100%. it is somehow because of like <clears throat> because of their Vulcan mind meld. Like it's not just that like Quirrell's super smart and knows how to read people, but that Quirrell knows how to read Harry because he's in his head. Yeah, I think that's it. Like at the um, at the little brief interlude we get with Quirrell at the end of uh, the Hermione thing, um, he says or it's in his head, he says, the, the defense professor had felt the boy's horror through the link that existed between the two of them and the resonance mm -hmm. in their magic. He had realized that the boy had sought the troll and found it. Uh, the defense professor had tried to send an impulse to retreat, but he had never been able to influence the boy through the resonance. Um, he says that he felt the boy give himself over fully to the killing intention. And, like, so yeah. he's... I wonder why it's so one-sided. Is, ...is this, you know, yeah. loud alarm bell in his head, but Quirrell apparently gets a lot more. Yeah. You know what occurs to me is, I guess just because of the power dynamic and also just because, you know, Quirrell's a grown-up and Harry's not, that I am assuming that if they're the same person, it's because, and Quirrell's been on this, like, Horcrux uh, mission, that, like, 
Harry is the copy of Quirrell and not the other way around, but that's not necessarily true. I wonder, that kind of doesn't make any sense. I guess what, he would have had to like make a Quirrell, Quirrell turn to shit, and then he forgot who he was. That would be weird. I don't know, fucking weirder shit has happened in this story. Um, but I get, yeah, or, or like maybe there's some like proto Voldemort and both Quirrell and Harry are like fucked up copies, just fucked up in different ways. Like Harry's fucked up just because he forgot who he is and Quirrell's fucked up because he's a psychopath. That's my and favorite. Maybe there was some like nice Voldemort. Maybe there's, or maybe not nice, but you know, just some sort of like, you know, the light and dark sides of the force, you know, joined together. Some like just regular guy Voldemort who was like both good and bad. And, that would like, be cool. and that dude's dead. And maybe that's Merlin. That's actually starting to all sound plausible. Mm. Oh, I kind of like this. So Merlin is Voldemort. And Harry and Quirrell are like his fucked up bastard clones. I like this idea. I'm not sure that is. But yeah, I keep thinking like we're going to we got to tie Merlin in. Seems like we've had too much noise about Merlin for him not. Although I guess you said but like Merlin's sort of like an established bit of fan fiction lore. Like he's already a it's not a Yudkowsky idea. I mean, Merlin in general, but Merlin is sort of like the backstory to Harry Potter is not a Yudkowsky invention. Um, I probably not. I, I know that Harry, I know that this story was fueled by a lot of fan fiction. So I'm, I'm assuming yeah. that was in there somewhere. Plus, it does seem weird that you'd write, you know, a Britain magical story without mentioning Merlin, which yeah, apparently is what Rowling did. I guess. So. so, yeah, I would be more inclined to think that there's something going on with Merlin if sort of like this way that Yudkowsky is has caused Merlin to be part of the whole backstory, like the edict, the interdict of Merlin and, and just how it seems like he's sort of like the mysterious, you know, founder of Atlantis or whatever. Like if that's all an invention of Yudkowsky's, then that makes me really want to think that that's somehow like important to, you know, how this big mystery unravels. But, but I think I get the impression that like that was kind of an established bit of lore that Yudkowsky was just sort of like continuing. So then it could more easily kind of fade back into not being super important, but, yeah, I think that's that's my read on it. I'm not sure. I think the Interdict of Merlin, what might be a Yudkowsky original, but at least it's original yeah. in the story, not the the canon one. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess we can. We'll we'll keep. Uh, you know, uh, so we'll find out in the next twenty chapters. Well, we sure will. <laughs> but we'll also keep. You know, uh, what am I trying to say? Randomly thinking of thoughts as soon as I wrap up how the chapter ends here. So he gets up and. He says, all right, let's go get the Philosopher's Stone. And there's no reply. The silence stretched. And then he kind of does, like, what's this awesome, like, you know, turn around. Mm-hmm. The, the enemy is behind you sort of thing. In fact, that's one of the thoughts he has. He says the yeah. enemy, capital E, was behind him, watching him. Mm-hmm. And so when there's silence, he turns around. And Professor Quirrell is standing upright and smiling. He's not doing the laying on the ground. Yeah, and, and not at all weak, weak anymore. And, yep. and in the defense professor's hand was a shape of black metal pointed at Harry's wand arm, held with the oh, yeah. grip of someone who knew exactly how to use a semi-automatic handgun. <laughs> and Harry's mouth was dry, even his lips were trembling with adrenaline, but he managed to speak. Hello, Lord Voldemort. Professor Quirrell inclined his head in acknowledgement and said, Hello, Tom Riddle. Tom Riddle. Um, I, I can sort of like picture like Quirrell being all proud of himself for having gotten a handgun. Like, look you know, at me with the whole new that... mugglishness and my powers of fabulous awesomeness. I mean, spells move at a speed that you can dodge them, right? And you've got to so. typically, unless you're, you know, uh, expert level, you've got to shout an incantation. Like, I, I just having a gun on your on your off hand makes perfect sense. I, Every R should have a gun. Um, like it. <laughs> this was Especially, it seems I like I, this. I you could have like a gun, series, and then also but... some sort of like magically enhanced gun, like the like you know the uh, I don't know if that was in the. Uh, 
the saint of killers from Preacher, his gun, the, his magic power to his gun was that it could not miss and could not not kill. Like if he shot you, you were definitely going to die. Oh yeah, that guy. Which is how he kills the devil because they didn't realize what they were just baking into his secret power was that, well shit, he could, yeah, he kills the devil and then, spoiler, he kills God at the end. Um, nice. But, yeah. yeah, I mean, that seems like uh, the kind of thing that you realize after the fact, like, oh yeah, I built my, my murder minion way too OP. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he literally can't miss and you literally always die if he shoots you. Um, and I, like, oh, and I didn't like put any caveats about well, like, unless great. it's God or, oops. Yeah. Unless it's me. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> the kind of thing I put into my, my magic murder exactly. robot. See, God, you should have consulted your attorney first. I would have pointed yep. these things out to you. Um, yeah, you think, yeah, so yeah, not only should they have a gun, but like, you know, you don't have, just have to limit yourself to muggle gun. This, we can improve on this. Yeah, you could use uh, the gun scourges. That the, gun, um, the gun that knows not to fire if it's going to be friendly fire. So you can just like blindly spray into the crowd <laughs> knowing you're only going to hit the bad guys. Like playing a um, online shooter where exactly. like your reticule just goes clear if you're shooting at a friend, at a, yeah, at a exactly. teammate. Um, there was a, my other like galaxy brains notion was that, you, you know, Bari one hand in Azkaban, the R. Uh, yeah. So in the canon books, uh, when Moody slash not Moody is demonstrating the killing curse, like to the students, he kills a spider mm-hmm. with it. Um mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm assuming it's the same for this. The killing curse kills whatever it hits and then stops, right? It doesn't just, like, keep mm-hmm. blasting. So I, it makes perfect sense to me that you should have, in your, in your Bari one-handed hand, you have a chamber full of ants or something, right? Whatever the smallest thing know. is that could be killed by a Vodka. I get, well, there's got to be some rule about, like, how much counts because there's, you know, a bunch of mites and microbes and shit on your skin. That, like, right. It's just it's, some yeah. thing with DNA, then sure. Yeah, so, there, so you'd have to do some science on what's the biggest thing that you can kill with a yeah. Vodafadabra, or the smallest thing. But his hand should be full of those. Maybe have a transfigured cloak made out of all of those things, or like having them all you know, sewn into the fabric of it. I'm just saying. Uh, some there's kind of a, really sick Baron Harkonnen torture thing that's like, yeah, he's got a cloak made out of shaved cats. <laughs> shaved live cats in an the, IV. So there's a, the protagonist of Worm is a 14-year-old girl who can control bugs. And it's awesome because she's a, on a planet with, like, you know, people on the scale of Superman. And how does she, you know, hold her own? By being super creative and ruthless with, with her control of her bugs. Um, <laughs> and so one of the things that she does is she kind of constantly has, like, a cloak of swarming bugs around her to make her hard to hit. Um, you know, so if you're shooting at her, you're shooting at this haze that looks roughly like her or something, including decoys that look like, you know, a human shape running away that are just bugs. And so, like, while there's other spells that would just blow the bugs away or something, right? But she she's immune from Avada Kedavra, basically, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to get through 2,000 bugs to hit her. So mm-hmm. you'd be casting the spell over and over if your only weapon is Avada Kedavra. Granted, Coral would just set her on fire or something, which that's would kind work like the, perfectly. It's kind of like the end of Ender's Game, except that he gets through the cloud of bugs, but... Oh yeah. yeah, somebody should do a podcast where you have like a guy that like hasn't read Worm before, and then another guy that has. That would be kind of kind of like this one. It'd be kind of derivative, though. Yeah, I mean, obviously they'd be just kind of copying us, yeah. even if somehow that came out like four years ago. But yeah. um, time turners. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> so that, that that'd be fun. Maybe they'd call it like "We've Got Worm" or something. But that would just be just so blatant Some of a robot here. Obs. Yeah. So. You know, I bet if you search for it, maybe you'll find something. Maybe someone took up that idea. Who knows? Um, 
Anyway, so yeah. Tom Riddle, that was the other, when he, uh, when he ends it with calling him Tom Riddle, that made me think like, so we've had, and actually there, there were like several of these little subtle hints dropped along the way where the conspicuous use of the word riddle. Um, but I did realize like how I'm wondering what's the significance, basically like everybody's name. What does that mean? Like is Quirrell different than Voldemort is different than Harry is different than Tom Riddle. Maybe Tom Riddle is that like proto something, something, but um, yeah, maybe like that stuck out to me is like, okay, what is, is there significance to this? Maybe there isn't, but, and then the other thing I put in the notes was, cause one of the ways that we, uh, the few ways that we had that name dropped was when Dumbledore, uh, asked the Marauders map, you know, show me where Tom Riddle is. And we never got to know what the answer was. So now, so now I'm wondering, did it, <clears throat> did the Marauders map go, I don't know, which Tom Riddle are you talking about? Well, one of them was in the Department of uh, Magical Law Enforcement getting questioned. Yes. And so, well, see, that's if, the thing. But like, what, like, what's what is Tom Riddle? Like, what right, counts? So like, is he going to say that or? That's a really fun question. So, did it show Harry? Harry was at Hogwarts. Yeah. Did it? Did it point him at Harry Potter? I know. And what yeah. does it say? Does it? Get, does he have like an asterisk on his name? Does he have both names? He already has like five names anyway. So you like Harry James. Potter, Evans, Tom, Brittle, Ferris, <laughs> Junior, the fourth, Esquire. So <clears throat> that, I, the the other fun thought to run with there is that if it did show that Harry was Tom Riddle and Dumbledore saw that. Then what the know. fuck is up with that? Yeah, how did he, what what did he do with that information? Right. I almost get, yeah, but see, it's sort of, it's going to be like very on brand for Dumbledore to have known everything that's been going on the entire time and that he's got his own like psychotic reasons for thinking he should just leave it alone. Dumbledore is... Like to me, at this, especially with all this, uh, you know, now we're at the point where like the the climax climactic information is coming in. Uh, he he seems to have been like paying more attention than we may have yeah. given him credit for. And he's like crazy uh, old man. Like because again, if he if he we we know that he tried that, and I'm glad you thought of that because that's that's an interesting thing. I so I mean, if he saw that and he didn't like immediately go run and blow Harry up because he knew he was Voldemort or something, yeah. you'd think that he's got some some plan going on right yeah and the marauders map has been taken out of the out of the plot so far which if you were just gonna like if you'd cast was just like we got to take the marauders map out of the plot because otherwise that's too easy a way to figure out like who tom riddle and voldemort are um but if that was to give me the only reason he did it he wouldn't have had like dumbledore saying show me tom riddle so he's like calling that i was like okay what's the answer to that question because that's going to be important but yeah it seems like the marauders because he did that that's making me think like the marauders map isn't done yeah, there's, um, let me find, uh, I, so I think the last time we saw the Marauders map, um, or like last we heard reference to it was when Fred and George went off to go find Hermione and they like, they knew that they could find people, but they couldn't remember how, Yeah. and then they couldn't find her. And like, they're like, you know, we know we could find people. We found, uh, Lee that one time when we knew Filch was after him, but how do we do it? Like, oh, we don't remember. Um, there's, uh. You know some some fun stuff going on there. Um, so there's this part in chapter 25 when we first get introduced to the map, and it's Fred and George. They're on. They're tasked by Harry to go find a way to fuck with Rita Skeeter. Oh yeah. Way back in the day. Um, so they're walking to uh, what Flume's magic shop or something, mm-hmm. and they're talking to each other. And so Fred says, "How's it? How's it doing?" And George says, "Still on the fritz. Both or." Intermittent one fixed itself again. Other one, same as ever. And they're like, yeah, you know, the map is probably part of the original Hogwarts security system, and it's not good that errors were starting to pop up. 
Um, we're saying both. So do we know what they were talking about? With, I, I just, both beams? We were talking about the that map. The, there's, there's room here to wildly speculate on what that could mean. So one's intermittent, be, one's the same as ever. Both could be the two Tom Riddles that are showing up on the map. Could be. Now, did people, people, generally speaking, Tom Riddle is not a name known by anybody other than like Dumbledore. I think that's right. I think the Order of the Phoenix knows that Lord Voldemort was this student at Hogwarts in the 60s or whatever named Tom yeah. Riddle. Uh, but I don't think that's so in if, the history books. Yeah, so if the Weasley twins were seeing some like two Tom Riddles floating around on the map, they wouldn't necessarily know what that meant. And then, so like if I had to guess, the intermittent one fixed itself again. I guess I'll let, I'll let you speculate on that before intermittent I... Intermittent one fixed uh, Well, yeah, I don't, maybe this is too. So I still have this this theory of Quirrell having out of body, like Quirrell just took over the mind of the troll or whatever. So that might be if like he's exiting himself and that like, so when he's in zombie mode, it's because when he's just sort of like left his body on autopilot. Um, So that could be it except, but yeah. And then I don't know what the, how the Marauders map would uh, treat like, Oh, I've left my body, but I'm now in somebody else's body. Um, but I guess, I, so yeah. I, I guess, like that. Yeah. That's my favorite guess. But um, that could be, or whatever, it could still be zombie mode, or got like whatever's going on zombie mode. That could be, when Quirrell's in zombie mode, that could be what the what the map does. Um, whatever that means. It, it could flicker back to Quirrell as Quirrell, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess in my head, there is no Quirrell as Quirrell. I think that the... Like there may have been, the same as sort of like David Monroe, like maybe there was one at some point, but it's not even like he took over the body. It's just like that dude's dead and now... Voldemort's pretending to be him. I think I that uh, that's probably the case that, you know, it, it, it makes sense that Quirrell's probably dead, just like, uh, what's his name? David, uh, Monroe. David Monroe. But, like, I, I think in, when he was being interrogated by the DMLE, they had said that Quirinus Quirrell was a real person who existed. Um, but none yeah. of his story matched up with what they knew of Quirinus Quirrell, that he was, you know, he went to Hogwarts, yeah. I think, in the 70s or 80s, or 70s, I don't know, and... Uh, was sorted into Ravenclaw and all this shit. And it's like, yeah, you during your classes said you were sorted into Slytherin. Like, really this is obviously bullshit. Dope bell-bottom pants. and The other intermittent guess that I'm thinking of is that of uh, when Harry time travels, because he's, he's using his time turner willy-nilly oh, back in those days. And people generally don't know about... Um, time turners. Time turners. Oh, and then if he is time turnering, there's going to be two Harrys on the map. Yeah. Sure. Or if the map calls him Tom Riddle... And yeah, I think that Riddle, would stick. Then there like, would be three at any given time when there's yeah. when there's two Harrys running around. Uh, it's all it's all. Awesome. Uh, yeah, the the, the time turner thing definitely would like confuse the Marauders map. So that would definitely look weird to them if they saw it. Um, but yeah, you think they would go around? You like, are currently to, like, logged into another device. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the more I think about it, this the whole Hogwarts security system wards all of it just feels like security on a you know on an app exactly. um, it's sort of like 1980 security where you know matthew broderick with a 300 baud modem could break it <laughs> um i don't know much else to add here man anything else you want to wildly speculate on i guess yeah most of morning like no yeah like what the fuck is gonna happen next because um Oh, yeah. Well, no, the other thing I was just uh, thinking, although I, I don't know, does it count as spoilers if I accidentally read, like, just chapter titles? Uh, um, I guess it doesn't matter whether or not it counts, because I just noticed the title of the last chapter has got Hermione's name in it. 
Um, but I was just trying to see how many chapters we have left. Um, and so one of them had, I think, yeah, the if you're reading all the chapter names, you yeah, know, something, something to protect, to protect and then it names Ryan a bunch Granger. of people. Yeah. It could be legacies. It could be the yeah, actual I people. So. I sort of or don't get the Or it could be confirmation. That well, so that's the thing that, like, so we've only got, what, 18 chapters left? But my, my thought was, and why I went in there to try to see, like, okay, how many chapters do we have left? Uh, because my whole theory of that can't possibly be the end of Hermione, uh, we are running out of chapters for Brian to be right. Um it does say that's the very end, though. So yeah, I don't know. It's so I'm gonna be I'm gonna both be pissed and be the asshole you thought I was when I just wasn't at all broken up about Hermione being dead because I figured like, eh, she's not really dead. She's coming back, but I don't see a lot of Hermione showing up. Like we only got 18 chapters left, hmm. so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be cheesed off. I I hope you're right. <laughs> All right. Well, for that, then, I think this is a good place to stop. And we will come back in a week for chapters 105, 106, and 107. A week for them, 48 hours for us. They're three pretty short chapters, but the chapter 108 is pretty long. So it might be its own episode, or at the very least, we can't sum it in with these other three chapters. So, um, yeah, that's it for for this episode. Uh, It's another short episode. Once again, eh, two and a half hours. Yeah. But once again, 105, 106, and 107 next week. Bye, everybody.